My name is Tom Chick. That's good, Tom. Like you. Thank you. Like your comedy. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we have seen Conan the Barbarian 3D. Uh, I am joined, of course, as usual, Conan by no Christian Malin Malinsky. Christian Malinsky. How many names do I need? Yeah, and also Kelly Wand, who has... Kelly Wand, you have a Conan the Barbarian 3D uh, tagline for us this week, I hope. What do you got? I already said this last night. It was, it was the only thing I had catchphrase-wise. I was looking forward to masturbating to Rose McGowan after this movie, but now I'll never masturbate to her again. All right. Uh, for folks who have seen the movie, you will understand that, I, I suspect. Uh, but for folks who haven't seen the movie, we're not going to spoil anything other than at this point you now know Rose McGowan is not in her normal form, you might say. Unlike Leslie Mann. Don't know what that's a reference to. She's not in Conan the Barbarian 3D, as far as I know, but let's hold that thought. We'll, we'll get to that. Dingus, before we spoil any Conan the Barbarian 3D stuff, why don't you tell folks who may not know much about it what exactly this movie is that we saw. Well, this week we saw Conan the Barbarian, previously titled Conan 3D. Mm. Yeah. A 2011 American sword and sorcery comedy movie based on the character Conan the Barbarian, created by Robert E. Howard. The film is a coming-of-age story directed by Marcus Nispel, and it stars Patrick Warburton, Rod Wally. Stephen Lang, Rachel Nichols, Ron Perlman, and Rose McGowan. The MPAA rating for the film is R. For Why? Strong, well, let me tell you. Okay. For strong, bloody violence. Mm. Strong, bloody violence. Well, he, there's a lot of working out that went behind that violence, yeah. Yeah. Some sexuality. Mm. Okay. And nudity. Well. Oh. Wait, Jason, what? Well, Jason Momoa was pretty shirtless quite a fair amount. Yeah. I'm fine with my kids seeing sexuality, but not not just shirtless Momoa. <laughs> so in a minute, I want to know why Dingus got the cast list so wrong, because I didn't understand that. But uh, let's first do something that I've been looking forward to for a while, or at least since I saw Conan the Barbarian 3D. Kelly Wand, why don't you spoil the whole shebang for folks and tell us, blow by blow, what happens... In Conan the Barbarian 3D. Oh, you mean a Conopsis? Yeah, rock and roll. Or you picture the, your favorite Frazetta cover, and you, it's, you think Conan the Synopsis. Mm, I can see the font now. Oh, Frazetta, interesting. I only read, uh, what's that guy you like? Clive Cussler. Haha, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right, Conopsis. Oh, also, um... Hey, guys, I thought of a cool way to punk somebody using cryogenics. That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, I mean, that, I, Kelly Wong, bless your heart, uh, you don't even need a segue. Just just launch into whatever. I, I love that about you. Because <laughs> I was just wondering the other day, once we have cryogenic technology, how will Ashton Kutcher's show be able to capitalize on it? Yeah. Well, you said do the conopsis, so I thought, oh, wait, this is the perfect moment to tell you this. <laughs> you uh, you freeze them as a baby, 
and then you thaw them out as an old man. And you gotcha. I can do the opposite. That's pretty rude. I guess it's only ethical if the baby's being a dick, but it's a good gotcha if... Anyway, all right, so the Conopsis. <clears throat> all right, <clears throat> so we watched Conopsis. I mean, Cone, then. And uh, Morgan Freeman gibbers some stuff about nothing instead of Darth Vader turning into a snake. And then we enter the void of the birth canal, but then we're not in it. And Ron Perlman's this guy, Korn, and his wife, Konita, is dying on a battlefield. Because Sumerians are not good fighters. But luckily, nobody's attacking her or her husband just then. Because she's giving birth, which may have affected her combat performance. But because she's a fierce barbarian, she goes, I want to see my son before I die. So he eviscerates her, and she goes, No, I said before I die! Before! So he holds up some goo and goes, Uh, I think it's a girl. And she goes, um, that's my heart, you fucking idiot. So he paws around through a bunch of placentas and pancreas and boobs, and he finds a fetus by the process of elimination. And she goes, aw, he has his mommy's testicles. Thanks. You're a great husband. But before you get back to winning this battle or getting him to safety with the other moms going into labor on the front lines, let's name him. How about Bran McMorn or Cull? And he's all, uh, I already named your heart Cull in my head just now. There's a lot I don't tell you, actually. How about Crocsploof? I named one of my lice that that one time. And Mama Conan goes, as usual, I have to do everything, even die first. We, or likely are just you in a couple seconds, will call him Conan. Or Red Sonia, if he winds up having red hair. Which now is probably not a good time to mention, but he might. Anyway, whatever you do, make sure he's not late for our seminal rite of barbaric passage, Egg Day. That's literally my only request. If you can at least promise me that, I'll die with a warrior mother's smile on my dead lips. Also, your knee's crushing my lung, fucktard. I'm dead, by. So 15 years whisk by, and Conan's late for Egg Day, because he was peeking through a hole in the Valkyrie wigwam. But he makes up for it by getting ambushed by ten less English-speaking rival barbaric warriors who make undercranked pig grunt noises, but it's not racist because they're in whiteface. And Conan tricks and kills them all, using only his wits, some shaky cam, some extreme close-ups of his face shouting, some sound effects of bones crunching, and some CG blood and applause. And he cuts off their heads with his dick. And he goes back to town, and his dad goes, well, I guess we're, we're with the white skins now. I'm proud of you, son. You can spit the egg out now, and you can take the book with the glass of water on it off your head, too. So nothing happens for a year. And then some dicks ride into Samaria Town, and their leader's Ronnie Cox, that dude Bogomil from Beverly Hills Cop, one. And he's looking for the last piece of his face hugger MacGuffin, because Morgan Freeman said in the opening credits that wearing it on your nose makes you invincible as long as a guy with a sword isn't chopping up the wooden bridge that you're standing on. And Ron Perlman has this relic for some reason, and he's craftily hidden it in a box on his mantle with a giant keep out sign on it and a guillotine like in Breakfast Club and another sign under it that says, please place donations for the false bottom I want to put in this bejeweled box that I keep it in. Anything will help, even a tooth or hand. was going to do it myself, but jewel-wise, this box was the best value. If you think you can do better, whatever. But the relic aficionado's daughter sniffs it out because he has the spell that lets her smell facehugger trinkets through any type of box material. And she's all, look, Pop, I found it using my magic. And he's all, your mother would have found it sooner. 
So the evil horseman and his trash mob bail. And Conan goes, uh, wait, so all my friends ran away like chicken shits? And his dad goes, they're not your friends. But more importantly, son, if you joggle that chain up there just a little very carefully, it'll spill some of that magma in the bucket over my head onto my manacles and melt them. No, just jog it a little. (laughs) But it's too late. The magma spills and makes an ash out of him. (laughs) That's the first ten minutes of the movie. So ten years whisk by, or as they said back then, 5.3 moons. Like the one that turns Taylor Lautner into a cross-eyed werewolf. And Conan's a handsome young underwear model now. And he's looking over a cliff at stuff. And his black friend Larry goes, I don't know, Conan. (laughs) This is not it. I don't know, Conan. Those aren't the slavers you're looking for. Move along. And he makes a non-faked hand gesture. And Conan goes, no man should wear chains. Although they can look fetching on certain whores. And the black eye goes, ha ha, you don't see your repulsion at slavery is at all inconsistent with your constant promises that you'll become king someday by cutting a dude's head off on the steps. You're so white. And Conan goes, you think that's awesome? And he slices a rope that unleashes an avalanche of huge boulders into the town, killing hundreds and overturning the world's first ever fruit cart. And Conan comes down among the wreckage and shouts over the moans of the dying, You're welcome. Then he notices all the blood and goes, Oh, I guess snow's softer. And a chain guy goes, Oh, sculpted haunched one, we have no food or weapons or the keys to these chains. Also, if you could move the rock you rolled onto my testicles while I was being whipped in the gutter, I can finally be reunited with my family in the afterlife. And Conan goes, Humph! Moving rock smacks of civilization. There is heap of seawater down the road a hundred fathoms. As to your weapons, I've only made one sword ever, and it cracked instantly because I didn't use enough ice in my fire or some shit. And his black friend laughs and goes, Ha ha, you, my friend, will make a fine king. And Conan goes, Speaking of which, and he takes the main slaver and yanks a huge key chain to a brick off his neck and gets him to eat it by washing it down with his fist and some kerosene that makes him choke and retch, but also swallow keys with bricks. Then Conan drinks some sewage and waits for the sun to hit his profile just right and tells the slaves, Okay, I put the key to all your manacles in. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> okay, I put the key to all your manacles inside this fat guy. He'll probably shit it out or throw it up in the next couple seconds. But if you want to wait longer and have more trouble finding it, here's a knife, bitches. And the slaver goes, "Wait, that key was just my ceremonial medallion. The manacles are already unlocked." And Conan's all, "Speaking of which, where's the nearest tavern?" And they go, "Crushed by your boulders." And he crunts, <clears throat> "Sorcery." I'm looking for a noseless guy, although actually his boss, who apparently is a preeminent figure in my world, but for some reason I have been unable to locate him for years now. Where's the next slaver city? And they're all uphill, and Conan's all, hmm, guess I should have done that one with the rocks first, then you guys. Civilization. Well, as my dad said, live and learn, or die. Whatever you want to do, son, just move out soon, please. So the bad guy's daughter is this sorceress named Rose McGowan, but her only spell is cast summon level one sand CG (laughs) and also blink, 
but the blink spell is the kind that causes momentary blindness for a billionth of a second. And she also knows detect magic, but it only works on her. So they go to the prehistoric monastery, and Rose McGowan's all, wait, why are we here again? We got the last piece of the facehugger talisman 20 years ago from that beardy dumbass and his kid. I thought that meant we were done with all the looking fors. And her dad's all, done as a state of mind, daughter, claw, gauntlet. All we need now is the blood of a royal virgin queen wearing a white bee suit in accordance with prophecy. And she's all, wait, another MacGuffin? Morgan Freeman didn't mention bees. And what the fuck have we been doing for 20 years? And minus all these MacGuffins, how have you been maintaining your power over all these trash mobs and CG extras if you're not that powerful yet? And he slaps her, and he goes, Silence! Your mother would have found ten times the number of plot holes at half that time. You sicken me. <laughs> so they attack the monastery, and the virgin's father grabs her and shakes her by the maiden head and says... Go to the counter, Northwest Gate, and barricade it with garlic shemming cloths before the setting sun has let the fires into the seventh house of Gemini. And do not forget to recite the litany of seven yawns with extra hummus. Quickly, girl! Else yonder perishable, stinking swiftly! <laughs> and she's all... Uh... So shows up and announces his presence by catapulting a guy into his stagecoach. And Rose McGowan goes, Look, Dad, there's a note tied to his brain. Dear guy who killed my father 20 years ago, seeing you again has been a real ballista. Fuck you. XO, Conan, son of corn. P.S. I'm angry with you still. Hope this is legible. I'm illiterate. Dad, is who is this? Do we care? And he's all 20 years ago. Could have been anybody. So he turns around and Conan's there. And Conan goes, I could kill you now, but that would be too easy. Okay, now I will. But Rose McGowan summons some dudes made of sand that can't be slain by mortal blade. But Conan tricks them by cutting them with his sword. An ordinary sword. And when the sand guys die, they look down at themselves and scream in horror at the idea of becoming sand again, because that's not something they're used to being, in between millennia, waiting for a sorceress to enchant them, only to find out that sand has one Achilles heel, swords. <laughs> so Conan kills sand, using his sword. If they aimed a nuke at him, he'd beat that with his sword. Some dude told me the other night that he'd only call midgets little people if they start referring to us as giants. But getting back to Conan. So the virgin Conan saved asks him, Conan, everything about you is so interesting. What do you think? And he goes, I snore, I fart, I shit. And she's all, hmm. Actually, you know what? Can you talk more like Cal Drogo and not use English anymore? It's really distracting. <laughs> You're all beachy. Also, shouldn't you have, like, at least one visible scar? Did you even look at the Frazetta covers? So her body double and his tanned ass have a tender lovemaking sequence in a dark room <laughs> cave. And she leaves, but gets kidnapped instantly. <laughs> Conan has invented a telescope out of a toilet roll and some glass from the future. Because they don't have those yet. <laughs> that was the joke I wrote just before we start. Like, that had to go in. Toilet paper roll. Oh. <laughs> Shut up, dingus. I'm almost done with this joke. It's great. And he saves her six more times, and he tricks Rose McGowan by chopping the wood of the bridge she's standing on and making her fall into a stalagmite. And her dad's... Oh. And her dad finds her corpse, and he goes, oh, now i got to hunt down ten more MacGuffins to bring her back. And he turns around, and he finds Conan cutting the wood off his bridge, and then he's... 
he's falling and he screams, I have enough time to cast spells as I fall and I'm super powerful, but look how tanned his ass is. And Conan grunts and carries the girl a couple paces away from the black hole spell that's making the mountain explode and goes, tanning salons are not for the weak. Then he spits the egg out in 3D. The end. All right, uh, Kelly Wand. Uh, uh, yeah, I didn't have time to shape that one, unlike Jace Momoa and his buttocks. I didn't have time. <laughs> so you call him Jace? Uh, we call him Jace. Mm-hmm. You don't read the trades. You haven't been following? No, but I do wonder why Dingus did not list him in the cast list. And I know part of it might be that Dingus didn't watch Game of Thrones. But Dingus, what is your beef with Jason Momoa? I just, I got confused. <laughs> ah, all is, all is explained. All right, that explains. I had a little of that myself. I, I thought that was Patrick Warburton, and I was wrong. Ah, see? Man, Patrick Warburton, is that is that like in, in that good a shape? No, but his face looks similar, and I just kept thinking how much funnier that would have been with Patrick Warburton, because he can do a lot of those same earnest expressions, but ah. they're funny when he does them. I see, I see. Um well, uh, let's see. Who then on this podcast is going to be the Conan the, the Barbarian 3D defender, and who is going to be uh, the detractor? I'm going to opt out of defending it, so that's going to fall to you, Dingus, or you, Kelly Wand. Well, Dingus liked one? Avatar, so he should probably like this, because it also... Well, they had the same villain, by the way. Yeah, it's the same planet. <laughs> So, Dingus, we're going to say the things that suck about Conan the Barbarian 3D, and you have to come up with why you liked it anyway. Are you up to that? Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. Let's do that. All right. Let me throw this one out there. Uh, All of the – so before we went, because we all saw this together, uh, I think – I seem to recall – Sausage Fest. First of all, I object to the way that you pronounce the name of the movie and the music that you chose for it. Because I think we should take it seriously based on the source material. But go ahead. Good. You're doing well, Dingus. I, I, you're doing very well. He's a fan of history, and he doesn't like us mocking our ancestors. I, I know. I understand. Right. It's like I really don't, because this happened uh, right after Atlantis was uh, gobbled up by the oceans, and I think we should pay respect to that. Oh, that's right. That was part of the Morgan Freeman gobbledygook at the first. That's right. It's they, not gobbledygook. He was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He was there. We can't discount that, so come on. It's all, it's as historical as yeah. his narration before War of the Worlds. That's a very good point. If you oh. want, it, it lends a sort of historical credence. Uh, so, Dingus, defend this. So before we went, I think someone said, oh, I hope we're not going to have to sit in the front row because it's the opening weekend and it's really going to be crowded. It's going to, Of course, a lot of people are going to go see Conan the Barbarian. That wasn't an issue. We were, I think there were two other people, maybe three other people besides us. Uh, however... Even though we were pretty far back in the theater, I felt like all of the action scenes, I might as well have been watching from the front row. They were in too close. Ah. They were dark because it was the frickin' 3D. They were confusing. So Dingus, explain to me what made these action sequences in Conan the Barbarian 3D good. Um, do you remember the uh, Bourne? Um, I do. Paul Paul's- Paul Greengrass's uh, handheld shaky cam, a lot of folks objected to. That's true. Uh, do you remember when he, um, when Bourne fights the dude and jams a magazine down his throat and kills him with a toaster? I do, yes. 
Now, there's a lot about that film that's really close. It's really jerky. It's really frenetic. And it adds to sort of this immediacy about the character and how the character is mm-hmm. discovering his power. Mm-hmm. Do you so remember a- uh, complaining about that? I did not. I did not. Not one iota. Okay, well, I think that this is the same thing, because we don't need to see that kid coming into his physical ability, because he's just finding it out right at that moment. And all of those shark teeth people, those shark teeth people coming and attacking him, it's all a surprise, and there's something supernatural going on, and we shouldn't be privy to that information yet. So this is so, kind of yeah. uh, this is uh, kind of like from the perspective of a frenzied barbarian. This is how combat looks. Exactly, and we don't know. We can't be certain. Conan has never had his eyes tested, so we don't know really how he sees. So this might 3D. be how he sees the world. In, well, maybe in three dimensions, but dark. He might have astigmatism, and uh, he also might have trouble just sort of focusing. He might have ADD. Ah, that's a very good point. Like thinking about a lot of different things at once. Ah, okay, okay. His strength uh, is weakness in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, very silly. Uh, Dingus, why didn't we get to see more of that elephant-powered sand crawler in Conan the Barbarian? Why was that not given a more prominent place in the movie, similar to, for instance, the giant tank in Captain America? Well, I think part of that is because it was actually a boat. And what the filmmakers couldn't afford at the time was all the CG water that they would have had (laughs) floating above the elephants' heads, because those were water elephants. Uh And that CG boat was going in virtual water through the countryside, which would have been a really cool effect, but they ran out of money. And I don't think you can really blame the filmmaker for that. Okay. Uh, Take that, Fitzcarraldo. A lot of people think that the word C-section stands for cesarean. I think we learned otherwise in the beginning of this movie, didn't we? Oh, too soon. It stands for Sumerian. Good point. Mm -hmm. Oh, because that begins with a C. I was thinking Conan section, but Sumerian section. Very good, Uh, Dingus. I thought you were saying a sexist joke. Well, as we all know, and as we were informed at least twice, maybe more times, uh, Conan is battle-born. You know what? That was the one good part of the movie. I like that. Conan being battleborn? Yeah. I but yeah, he should have killed somebody, he, like killed his mom's killer, like right then. Oh, as an infant, as a newborn yeah. infant. Right. He right, pops right. out just like brains a dude or like bites him to death. Or just takes this knife and like omens him. That did lead to one of my two favorite things that was said during the movie though. You actually had favorite things that were said. Mm. Yeah. There's dialogue? Well, they're, actually, they were by people who were sitting next to me. And um, the one that I'm talking about right now was the guy next to me said, that dude is bench-pressing that baby. <laughs> he was. He was totally like like Ron Perlman. Like, he had the look on his face. And he was – that baby must have been – he must have been – that must have been like eight pounds or so right there. Just – he was totally bench-pressing that baby. What's your other favorite thing that was said in the movie? And was it actual dialogue in the movie, or was it an audience participation situation? Um, well, I think of this film as an interactive filming experience, and that's why it was... <laughs> you laugh, but it's 3D, and part of the 3D experience is that the audience is listening and watching and talking. Mm, mm. And so the other thing was indeed said by a guy who was sitting two people over from me, and it was sort of... I think Kelly Wan might have alluded to this in his canopsis, 
And it was before the as the boulders rolled down the hill. It was you're welcome, slaves. <laughs> that was great. Uh, and in mm. fact, as I wrote my notes this afternoon, I just just sat there laughing and laughing when I thought of you're welcome, like, slaves, and the boulders rolling down into those cars. It's like he's Dick Cheney and the slaves are Iraq, huh, guys? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Kelly. So my, my take on this, and just to further uh, play on Kelly Wan's comment, I think the tagline for Conan the Barbarian, which I, I think I speak for all of us and we agree, I, I enjoyed going because I went with you guys, but good Lord, this is a horrible movie. But the tagline for Conan the Barbarian should be, you're welcome, Bulgaria. Because <laughs> this movie, this is a $100 million movie. Really? I don't, yeah, I don't see where that went, and it was shot in Bulgaria. This movie was like an economic stimulus package delivered from Hollywood to Bulgaria. That's my theory. Uh, is it? And I think I think it should be your welcome, America, because we yeah. get finally get exposed to some serious Bulgarian topless women. I'm pretty sure those oh, were body imports. doubles. Did you see the names of the ends of those women? Are you kidding? <laughs> I guess we did stay for the credits, didn't we? Uh, what yeah. was it listed as, Dingus? Were they, were so they like worth it. Topless wenches, was that the credit? Topless I think wenches. they were the topless slave girls or something like that, and they were all serious Bulgarian names, like one after the other. They were great. Don't stop making people like think they want to see the movie now. Because they're going to go, oh, slave, top of slave girls, dinguses. What was weird was it wasn't really until that moment that I realized the film was rated R. And I should be able to tell before that if you're going to have a major battle sequence where guys get beheaded. Well, here's here's my problem with the, uh, the the violence in this movie, and I rarely have a problem with violence. But this is this was you know from the topless slave winches, and there were some like severed heads, and I, I guess there. I, what did you call it, Dingus? Extreme violence. What was the what was the caveat in the MPAA rating? It's strong, bloody violence. Strong, bloody violence, yeah. Okay, so it's all digital blood, which, you know what, if you want to do that, that's fine, but digital blood needs to have some fallout after the fact. This digital blood evaporated. After the battle scenes, nobody has blood on them. There's no blood on the ground. If you're going to be splashing around digital blood, make it persistent. You know, don't just, like, have an effect and then it goes away. Like, there is no – this was the – the blood was just so relatively sterile. I mean, it didn't get yeah. on anything. Just like 300. 300 was exactly like that. Are they not blood splattered in 300? They're never wet, and the ground's never muddy or bloody or wet. It's like all. It's exactly what you're talking about. Oh, that's too bad. But the it stylization, I think you can you can kind of hide that in the stylization of 300. Ah, it feels point. like something printed. Oh my I, mean, God. I mean, the only thing you see here is, like, Stephen Lang's face has some crusty blood on it during the sand scene. Yeah. Uh, can I make an awesome point about CG that ties in with Tom's point? Rock and roll. Uh, okay, you know how CG makes everything look weightless and cheap to us? Right. It's like, the whole, the original, what CG was originally supposed to be was like this thing you'd deploy strategically to improve other aspects of the movie and like make story beats more dramatic and stuff but instead they've just made everything around the cg like that like now the dialogue and the story are just like CG. it's all weightless and cheap and shitty and everything's cg now in addition to the cg okay thank you go back <laughs> cg dialogue yeah uh, that's giving i would say that gives the dialogue a little too much credit this this de- the dialogue in this movie <laughs> had the distinct feel of people who had no idea what they were writing and whether or not it was any good 
I got the sense that there was some absolute, almost tangible talentlessness behind this dialogue. The, the fact that the only thing remotely resembling a tagline, you know, the, the line about lamentations of women is, is from the John Milius Conan. Everybody knows that line, and it's clunky, and it's beautiful, and Arnold Schwarzenegger sold it in, in all of its ridiculousness. The only thing that comes close in this, and, and I can't even imagine this, this must look awful on paper. I can't imagine any actor doing anything with it, much less a talentless guy like Jason Momoa. But the only claim to a kind of a tagline or memorable dialogue was, I live, I love, I slay, and I am content. That is worse than CG, Kelly Wan. That takes absolute lack of talent to come up with that. Isn't that, isn't that just a remarkable line to you guys? How else are you going to write for a barbarian? He's supposed to be a barbarian. He doesn't have uh, many things other than subject, uh, nouns and verbs. I mean, what is he supposed to do? No adjectives should be in there. Or adverbs. Shouldn't, shouldn't there be an adverb in there, Dingus? Uh, where's a barbarian going to come up with an adverb or a conjunction? He's never that... seen any of that stuff. He's, he's, got, he's got action words. His life is a life of action. He's, he's, his life is a life of verbs. Fair enough. Okay, good point. Uh, Dingus, what is most important when forging a blade? Uh, fire. No, ice. Because <laughs> the thing is, that's a uh, trick question because it had two answers. Like, I feel that Conan wasn't given a fair shake when he was presented with that question. That was a sort of that was his Kobayashi Maru. And how ugly, uh, you know, I'm going to keep defending the film in just a second but how ugly and weird was that whole apprenticeship forging a blade scene when they would Lame. stick the blade in the in the like bucket of muddy yeah. like glop, same one years later water <laughs> i mean we've seen that scene that apprenticeship where we're forging a blade scene a million times there's a way to do it competently if you're just going to do it just do it competently but otherwise i don't know what the hell you're doing can I, you made, like like Kelly said, you made one blade and you broke it, and then you, you don't deserve this blade, and now we're going to fight on a, on some ice for a while, and who the fuck knows what you're doing with making that blade? Can I share with you guys what I feel is one of recent filmdom's uh, best blade-making scenes? It's from a pretty unlikely uh, movie, but one of my favorite recent blade-making scenes, it's a modern-day movie with Sylvester Stallone, the most recent Rambo. Um, you didn't like that in the end. He's getting. So I liked mad, it. He makes, he makes a blade like Rambo. He's like so mad. He's not just going to get a gun. He's going to make a machete kind of thing. Yeah, and he's also like a, a, a deformed dwarf too. So it's like an angry dwarf, like hulking dwarf. It's very, it's very Wagnerian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing it in the rain, I think, too, at night. Yeah, it's, you, it's the best time to do precision work, too, <laughs> at a hot forge. <laughs> now, but, now, Tom, uh, you you took a dig at Jason Momomoa, right? Right. By calling him something like talentless, I don't know. Uh, wh- who else are we going to put in that part? Well, okay, so they this this has been kicked around for a while. The, you know, the the rights to do another Conan have been floating around for a while, and this this whole thing finally came together. And I don't know who Jason Momoa is. I was asking Kelly about this. Okay. Kelly, well, I know from Game of Thrones, but was he like a wasn't he like a MMA fighter or something, or or he is he really just an underwear model? I don't know. No, he's he's a, he's a dude from Hawaii, um, and he's he got discovered to be a model, and then he had all those dreadlocks for Star. 
Gate Atlantis, I think. Oh, he's a TV guy. Oh, and he's been yeah. to Atlantis already. So he's right, and then after Atlantis got swallowed by the oceans, uh, he, he cut off his dreadlocks because he was famous for having these dreadlocks, and they would hurt his head when he would do action sequences. And, um, and uh, then he resurfaced for uh, that uh, fantasy movie you just talked about, and now he's here. Well, here's here's one thing. Here's a guy I would float, and I've mentioned him before. Uh, and I feel that I think of him as a Conan-esque character because he's in the art house equivalent of Conan the Barbarian. It's a movie called Valhalla Rising by Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen. There Wait, you go. that sounds familiar. I've Mads Mikkelsen. Here. People know him mainly from being the villain in the the first the the, the James Bond movie that uh, got Daniel Daniel Craig's first James Bond movie. Casino uh, Royale. Yeah, that guy, it, the guy with the, yeah, the, guy with the eye. bleeding eye. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that guy. But he's, he's a fantastic Danish actor. Dingus has talked about him in a, in a, a good movie called After the Wedding. Uh, he's amazing in Nicholas Winding Refn's uh, Punisher series, specifically in the second Punisher. Uh, I, I love that guy. And Valhalla Rising uh, really. What did I say? Punisher. Good lord, Ugh. <laughs> that's terrible. Pusher, right? Uh, he's amazing <laughs> in Pusher too. I, I don't think he's in Punisher wow. too. Uh, Interesting. Anyway, in Valhalla Rising, Valhalla Rising is an art house Conan. It's about this barbaric figure and this odd situation he's in in a historical watershed moment, which reveals itself over the course of the movie. Uh, so Valhalla Rising is I, – I would love to see the Mads Mikkelsen from Valhalla Rising playing a Conan the Barbarian. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you have anyone – and Dingus, I'll be curious what you think. Do you have anyone that you would suggest besides Jason Momoa for a Conan the Barbarian? Terry Crews. I don't know who that is. It must be it's a the, uh, president from Idiocracy. Ah, yeah. He's like, is he like a sports guy? Uh, <laughs> we're not equipped. To I think he's that. an underwear model. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, now you did not really. Let's let's speak in earnest. This poor Jason Momoa guy. I kind of felt sorry for him because he's awesome on Thrones. He's uh, because I he doesn't. He, he is. He doesn't. Yeah. Play. He's just sort of being. I mean, he's he's playing a, a not very bright barbarian who gets taken advantage of. He's kind of a dupe actually in Game That's of Thrones. That's what I just want to say. I, I, sorry to cut you off. No, no, that's wanna, okay. it's, I, my sound went out earlier, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a, I, as a fan of the original stories by Robert E. Howard, he, Conan's actually not a stupid man. Like he, People underestimate his intelligence at their peril. He's kind of like Columbo. And, <laughs> I mean, and Jason Momoa's too dumb-sounding, and the lines suck. It's this, The writer sucks, too. And this is the guy who made The Pathfinder, the director, which is a movie I liked a lot, actually. Or do I misremember it? No, you're right. Marcus Nispel did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, and then he did Pathfinder, and, and now this, yeah. But maybe I'm, I don't know, even in, wasn't Schwarzenegger even kind of a smart Conan? Like, he figured out how to kill sorcerers. Like, he found, he, I don't know. I don't like Conan as an idiot. It, it seems like it's not the same dude. I'm not sure that he was necessarily supposed to be an idiot in this movie, so much as this movie was idiotic. Both are true. Okay. It's idiocy as glory and people too stupid to come up with anything good. <laughs> okay. So, I'm sorry. Go back to what you're saying. Well, uh, Dingus, do you have a, a good uh, candidate for a Conan the Barbarian? Who besides Jason Momoa would you like to see doing this? Um, Arm and Hammer. 
unfortunately, uh, when you look at the old posters, because I kept wondering, I have no understanding of the source material or of the earlier films, really. Racist. But I kept, there's just this constant thrusting of swords at the sky, and that that, which uh, I guess if you look at the poster. And the artwork is an iconic image. I'm going to just stick a sword at the sky because I'm stabbing God. I don't know. That's actually um, from the Star Wars poster, Dingus. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. right. He was stabbing God. The force. <laughs> Take that, God. So I don't know how old this guy is supposed to be um, based on the source material. I don't really care, but it seems like a dude going on this, uh, this revenge uh, mission should be somewhere around Jason Momoa's age. So I like the idea of Mads Mikkelsen. I think he's a little long in the tooth for this. Um, I like the idea of uh, Dwayne Johnson, just because I like him so much. Mm, good. Uh, oh, right. Uh, but I think you can go... The The problem is that the, these guys, because of the way Schwarzenegger looked, they I guess they think it has to be just this guy who looks like he's filled with helium or something, this just huge buff guy. So, So a guy who could really act who looks... Semi buff like Tom Hardy, or um, or say even a Michael Fassbender. I mean, I guess you can't get those kinds of guys. But I would like somebody who could handle dialogue and look look like he can handle the stakes of taking a revenge story on his back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, again, this 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 movie kind of falls into the category of why do we need this? <laughs> if it'd been a non-American like Arnie, they could use the accent. I can actually tell you why we need this, Dingus. It's because the rights were with someone who was having to pay, I think, something like a million dollars a year to retain the rights. Uh, this was something that had to be cranked out. Uh, it, you know, Like I said, it had been floating around for a while. We needed it because someone was paying for the rights, and it had to be turned into a movie. Uh, it, it's a business decision, you know? Uh, Robert E. Howard cranked it out. And it was awesome and poetic. By the way, I, it's just, you know, personally disgusting to me. And I realize this is a well-worn rant. And I guess we don't need this rant because it's been, you know, done. And I'm just reimagining it. We just don't need these remakes. I mean, if you want to uh, if you want to revive the Conan franchise, then find a way to revive it as later on or as, as some sort of a sequel kind of a situation. But why do I need to see the movie that's already been made? I just they don't also, understand that. They revived them all with the same things too like it's so, okay we're gonna redo it but this, he's killing his father ruin the world blah 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 it's like the same shit they're all the same movie well again it's a it's a business decision it's just it's got to yeah. be something with conan slapped on it and that will get people out i mean it, it got us to see it i was looking dark, forward to it dark knight was a business decision and an artistic one as well they, yeah. they sometimes so cord they sometimes overlap by the way they, I, I just want to say quickly Dingus, if you want to see tom hardy doing a conan the barbarian thing he's in a movie called <laughs> called minotaur so I just want to point that out in case you you really want to see. You it's keep the same bringing thing. that up. I think you you're making it up. It's it's your creation. I understand that. You're, you wanted to make up movies that don't exist. Oh, Minotaur. You're the one who brought up Tom Hardy. Uh, he's in. He plays like this this kid in a barbarian village who uh, runs off to Crete or wherever to slay the Minotaur. And it's Tom Hardy doing a kind of a barbarian thing. I just wanted I to put they're that on out there. Thebes. I think you're thinking of Sam Worthington. <laughs> By the way, I know that they were in an earlier incarnation of this this Conan reboot. One of the kids from Twilight was uh, was up for a fellow named like Kellen Lutz, or he, he sounds what? like a, it sounds like a D and D. Why do they all have names like that? All the I know, it sounds like it sounds like a D and D character, doesn't it? Taylor Lautner. I mean, but a fellow named Kellen Lutz, I think is his name, was uh, going to be Conan for a while. 
I've lost a lot of respect for chicks because it's Taylor Lautner. Just saying. I don't even know who that is, fortunately. Side Werewolf. Haven't seen it. Don't know it. Uh, I understand he's in a movie coming out called uh, The Abduction. Are we so. seeing that? <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. Uh, did at one point in this movie, did this happen or did it not happen? At one point when Conan is fighting Stephen Lang, you know what? I don't even remember who he was fighting. I couldn't tell from one scene to another. But at one point, I think Conan's fighting the main bad guy. Does the main bad guy's sword turn into like giant salad tongs or something? Did I see uh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought yep. that was Conan's, though. No, I- the but Stephen Lang's sword was a, a double... A double scimitar, which seems completely impractical, but you could see that throughout the sand battle fight. And it had this special feature where he could separate them at certain moments, clasp the other sword, throw the other sword, and reattach it. You could see it. It looks like this. It does look like tongs or, or like this big, one of these big forks that you would hold down turkey while you slice it. Um, <laughs> but because the action scenes were filmed so incompetently, you could never really tell right. what the hell was going on in sword fights. And I don't know if that's because the talent uh, couldn't handle the sword fights and they didn't bother to train them, and that's just an artful way of cutting around it, or what? I, I Everything. No... no one good was involved. Dingus, I just want you to know, according to Wikipedia, Jason Momoa trained for six months in preparation for this role. Huh. Doing training how? I, I think he trained to thrust the sword in the sand, because there's a lot of that. You got a lot of that. that without the sword. <laughs> I don't know if it was the sword he was training up or else. Okay, also, did I or did not see at one point a bunch of chickens falling on a guy's head? Uh, what you saw was a box of feathers with chicken noises, but you never saw any actual chickens because they couldn't afford chickens. Because they were paying all those those strippers in Bulgaria. And also they were breaking a thousand pieces of wood, and that's not cheap. And they were slapping a lot of meat. <laughs> I wish I had control of the Britney Spears. <laughs> I can say. T- oh, okay. Let me ask you this. Uh-huh. No, go ahead, Kelly. You first. No, no, no. No, it's not good. I don't know. I know. I'm scared Tom uh, will do the, something if I say anything. Are the <laughs> I want to keep making him talk about the movie. Are the large battle sequences in this movie better or worse than the large battle sequence at the beginning of Season of the Witch? Well, also with Ron Perlman and a stagecoach tipping over on a bridge, <laughs> oddly. I crazy woman. I got the sense that the quote-unquote large battle sequences at the opening of Season of the Witch were like maybe seven guys standing real close together and a fairly tightly shot sequence. Photoshopped, yeah. <laughs> a lot of cut paste extras. And here, I were there... Battles, I guess there were. Like at one point when all of the, the horsemen are riding on the village, suddenly there's a bunch of other horsemen riding to meet them, and I don't know where those guys came from, but I seem to recall at least one shot in which maybe 40 horsemen on either side were riding towards each other. I don't recall anything of that scale in Season of the Witch. So I'm going to have to go with Conan the Barbarian 3D. Remember the plague victims in Season of the Witch that they burned? No. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> how come the Sumerians don't have any defenses against horseback riders? They did. You, you, they were raising them at the beginning. They were pulling up all their little sticks that they'd carved. And they, oh, they yeah, and they also had eggs, too. Eggs to throw. Eggs and egg children. Mm-hmm. 
But wait, you're right, Diggis. It shows them raising those sort of barricades yeah, or spikes. We never see. Yeah, nothing happened. It, they violated Chekhov's Oh, rule. yeah. It's like the bridges in I Am Legend that you see blown up, and then they just drive off of it. At the end of the movie. And there's a thousand arrows, and nobody knows who's shooting them or where they're right, going. Uh, they get to see them flying through the air, and they make no impact whatsoever in 3D. Tom, what you're forgetting from Season of the Witch is this whole wonderful opening sequence that is through the ages of fighting. I know, no, but they, and they they sort of like fade into each other. Like I remember that, but it was always just like seven or eight guys in a fairly tight shot, so that Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman could be like front and center, exchanging wisecracks or whatnot. Yeah, exactly right. And that you know that the wisecracking in that movie and this. Uh, the wisecracking in this movie wasn't as great, but the number of times people just randomly said, hey, to each other in this movie, I love. Yeah. <laughs> or shit. Oh, such sense of place. Oh, they really captured it. was it. just like some guy would be riding on horseback behind another dude, and he'd go, hey. And it was just like they wouldn't yeah. bother to say, let's not say hey or damn or shit. <laughs> Nobody can say the F word. We're never going to say that because right. it's R-rated. And Prom. they would have said that now. But just if you feel like saying hey in the middle or Ron Perlman, if you get hit by an arrow, you can say damn. But <laughs> just say hey whenever you feel like it. I love that. Just hey, hey. So hey. wait, Dingus, what you're asserting is that hey is, is in an, you're saying it's an anachronism? It's uh, been no. translated from uh, Aramaic. It, definitely. And that's what they fed, you know, their, a lot of their horses and whatnot. And I think that's what they were saying. <laughs> oh. Just love that constant. Hey, hey. Rascal. Hey. <laughs> I did. So one of the things, in addition to the movie just being dark and shot close and poorly edited, I think the sound was really bad because there were certain lines where I couldn't I couldn't understand what they were saying. And I swear to God, I thought at one point Conan said something about his roommate. And I said something about yeah. this to Kelly. I thought he was saying something about going about his roommate coming. And then at, at the end, when he drops off Rachel Nichols, I really think he said something about how he had to work in the morning <laughs> and that that's why he was leaving. Uh I just couldn't the die, and I'm pretty sure those would both be anachronisms. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. I, <laughs> they have morning in the past. I looked it up on Wikipedia. My, morning. My favorite one of those, and, and I don't think anybody else would have heard this, but you're right. The, the sound was just so horrible. Is when, um, oh god, the it's it's Art Artis, the guy who who pilots the ship to to come back to save him, and he just appears after the sand battle in the ships. Um, it's not so nosy. I don't know that guy. But but it seems like to me, when I was watching the movie, it seemed like he said, Bar Mitzvah, jump! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's why they should come over to the boat. We're having a Bar Mitzvah. Come join us. <laughs> and I thought, what, does he, is he, is that their pet name? Bar Mitzvah? Why would he say that? Was the bad guy's name Clars? <laughs> Clars is coming. We gotta prepare. We gotta get shit ready. <laughs> Any, we must get shit ready. If they'd say it like that, like he'd have the must, but they'd say, "Yeah, you got to get shit ready." <laughs> I don't think even they could hear each other because there's that great scene between Conan and Tamara, where she keeps saying, uh -huh. "You know, you know <laughs> I'm going to Harkania." And he, and he, <laughs> I said, "I will go to Harkania." It was like the Zucker film. She just said it like 15 times, and then finally, the the shark tooth guy named Remo. <laughs> Goes, she's lying. Yeah, yeah. And just that shrill. Uh, and not, not what was beautiful about it is it was, it was spoken from off screen. It's yeah. just a random. You didn't even know someone else was in the scene. Yeah. Right. Like it could have been someone in the audience. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. It's kind of a funny movie. I guess go see it after all. I'll only go see it if you can bring Kelly Wand with you, though. It's sort of like watching the birth of a synopsis. That, that's sort of what I got out of seeing Conan O'Brien. Carved from my <laughs> on a battlefield synopsis, fighting with other synopsis. Kelly Wand, what did you think, as a, as an aficionado of, of fine actresses, uh, what did you think? We know that Rose McGowan, you were a little bit disappointed in uh-huh. the use of her. Uh, what did you think of the lovely Rachel Nichols? Uh... I didn't see as much of her as I saw in P2. Now, why don't you tell folks what P2 is? Well, I didn't see P2. (laughs) That might be why. I saw less of her in this than I did in a movie I didn't see. But her body double has a great ass. You know, okay, I just want to say, I don't mind if an actress doesn't want to be naked. That's fine. That's her prerogative. But... uh, Is that what you said on 90210? Or black swan. Yeah, <laughs> I, I it, when 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 a body when when an actress is so clearly when the nudity is so clearly from a body double, just don't bother. Oh, I know. What did we get out of that? It's not spank bank good. It's nothing, and it makes Conan look like a total douche. I mean, that's not. <laughs> he can't even get in bed with the lead actress just with her body double. Right. I don't. <laughs> Remember in the, the love scene in Conan, the the Arnie one, where she turns into a witch and he throws her into fire. And then she flies away. You actually, Kelly Wan, made a, a very good point last night about how there there really is no sense of like magic in this world. This there there's mm-hmm. nothing that makes this. It, it's just swords. It's not swords and sorcery. It's just swords. Uh, there are those CG sand people, but otherwise. And then there's the the mask that that's like a face hugger that just fits snugly on the bad guy's head at the end. But there was no sense of anybody having superpowers or spells or this world of, yeah. of strange, mysterious things. You know what? I guess there was a giant octopus. Maybe that was magic. Oh, yeah. Like oh, Popeye. That, that was so horrible. That whole, like, rancor scene of the octopus. You couldn't even see what the hell was going on. And oh, you're yeah. right. And Kelly's absolutely right about that sorcery thing because Rose McGowan blows some sand. And then she's just, I guess she couldn't be available for the rest of the filming because she's not controlling them or any part of they can't how do those things here. work. And for a second there, I was like, oh, this is a good sequence. These guys look cool. Really? Um, yeah, for a minute, I just thought, okay, this is something I could sit up for. This is I was bummed the instant the sand shot. Like, oh, God, not a mummy fucking wannabe. No, please don't rip well, off it- Least it good. does look that like that. It looks like they, they have the mouths of I Am Legend, and they do parkour. Uh-huh. And, and and there's and, and as you alluded to in your synopsis, there's no rules for why they die. They just suddenly start dying. And uh-huh. It was just sad. But she's not there for any of that. And then she does this one moment where she dips her her dagger in what we assume is poison, throws it at him, and there's no consequence for that other than what do. You, does he get blurry vision? Does he? What happens? Well, yeah, he has to run off. That's why they have to run off to to the bar mitzvah boat because he's been poisoned and he's uh, he's all woozy. Why doesn't she but, use magic in the rematch at the end of the movie? He shouldn't do anything. Or poison? Yeah. Why didn't she use the poison then? Why didn't she make the rock turn into sand? So what you're saying? I thought is, we're gonna get this huge uh, mythical creature showing yeah. up, in the sand or or mythical like, creatures in the water, right. something. Yeah, they already have a giant octopus. And they're like, oh, no, no. That, we don't even need to wear the face hugger for the fucking octopus. Check this shit out. <laughs> no, I'm falling. Fuck it. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so do you think we'll be seeing a sequel? They're making a sequel to Daredevil. Sequel is anything. Oh, I finally, I did see, you know, I didn't know what I knew Rachel Nichols from. Um, mm-hmm. but, I'm a dumber. Uh, 
No, actually, uh, and I Amity the whore. Now that now that I've looked at her IMDb page, I realize uh, mm-hmm. my wife um, records every single uh, one of these uh, serial killer investigative procedurals that are on the DVR. Anything that comes on TV that's that she'll record, and I have to watch a lot of them with her. And and Rachel Nichols was this emotionless creature on Criminal Minds for. A long time. She was one of the characters in the uh, in the squad of people on Criminal Minds. She was and, a, like a cop. Yeah, she was one of the oh. FBI people who was doing investigations, and and all of a sudden they just sort of snapped. Oh my gosh! And now I know who that was, and and why it, it doesn't seem like she's sexual at all because in that show she wasn't, and in this she's not. Dingus, you just set off a light bulb in my head. There's a uh, there's a young director whose name is, oh, I wish I could think of his name. He did a movie that I think is called Autumn Sonata with Anthony LaPaglia and Allison Janney. Do you know what I'm talking about, Dingus? Yeah, but I don't know the director. And is it called Autumn Sonata? Did I screw that up? It might be. Anyway, he's got two. It's, it's a, a man with two sort of grown kids, and Allison Janney is like a neighbor. And uh, it's a very character-driven wonderfully acted movie the director's second movie is called mescada and it's a kind of a murder mystery kind of thing with one of the kids from virgin suicides who's in it who's very good uh norman reedus who some folks know from walking dead is in it he's very good uh and it's about a murder uh and its effects on a community and uh as many murder stories uh, have there's a cop who comes into it and one of the cops is is uh uh ah, what's the not Nick Stahl what's the kid's name who was from the Terminator movie is it Nick Stahl Ed Nick Stahl Nick Stahl right right Nick Stahl uh from the the uh so so Nick Stahl is one of the cops and his partner who is the weakest link in the freaking movie because it's sort of like why would you cast this this horrible flat actress as a, a homicide detective when she's not selling this at all. She doesn't look like one. She can't act like one. She's sucking the air out of this freaking movie. His partner is Rachel Nichols. <laughs> and it just that drove me crazy because Miscata could have been decent, but I think Rachel Nichols absolutely sabotaged it. And it must be because she's on this TV show that – for some reason, she gets this role as a as a tough homicide detective. In she was on Alias. She was Jennifer Garner's replacement on Alias. And oh, so she's it. like a like a super. <laughs> so she's like a super spy in Alias. Right. Yeah, oh that's God. probably how she got that gig. Yeah. I never watched Alias that much though, so maybe it was awesome or with her, or something. You no, I watched, watched the I watched the early seasons of Alias and I really liked it. Was it good? I like yeah, her. I, I, I don't really know why I didn't watch it. I don't it. know if it was good, but I really liked it a lot. Well, yeah, it's because of it's Jeff I, Garner. That's anything, anything with Jeff Garner. Yeah. What, what's oh, that? Oh, no, it's actually because of Bradley Cooper. Oh. <laughs> he was on there? He was an alias? That's Yeah, that's how he got No started. way. I mean, yeah, he's like this, uh, like her best friend kind of. That's Michael uh, Barton. Oops. Ha ha. Ah, you and your jokes. Rascal. I'm I don't know. I don't understand what you guys are doing. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go. Hold on. Let me make a note to look up Bradley Cooper on IMDb. Uh, all right. Good. I got that taken care of. All right. So uh, Conan the Barbarian, uh, Dingus, you think it was historically accurate? You appreciate its its reverence for the trappings of history. Kelly Wand, you uh, appreciated uh, Jason Momoa's tan, and I like Kelly. Who was in it? 
Oh, and I wish Kelly who was in everything. I know. Oh wait, uh, I want to say one more thing. Rock uh, do you know? You know, our favorite line reading in the movie that was that the the, the lead monk giving her directions for how to get out of town. Exactly. Do you know who that was? No, was it someone famous? Who? He looked like a Monty Python guy. It's not somebody famous, but it's it's a guy named Rod Rawi, and he played. He was in Devil's Double. He was the uh, like the older guy who was looking out for <laughs> the advisor fella. Right. Oh, that's oh. awesome. That is awesome. The guy he let live, and then he let live. Right. You no, know no, no. I, He's the guy who rips up who 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 uh, who tears up the videotape. Right. I now I now like Conan the Barbarian 3D even better. That's why I'm here. <laughs> uh, and by the way, Kelly, one you were right. This was not shot in 3D. It was all like post-processed 3D, which is really annoying. Totally worth the totally worth the effort and expense. Amazing. Because oh when it looks like it, it's already so hard to follow already in 2D, the action in the movie, <laughs> make it darker <laughs> and bumpier. Tom, if you could murder one movie that we've seen this year, would it be this or Battle L.A.? Or another one I'm not thinking of. I, I think I'd, I think I'd say Conan because I was so I'm I'm such a fan of uh, the original stuff. Well, here's what I will say for Conan the Barbarian 3D. For some reason, I don't know where this came from, and I I hope I, I I'm trying to think back to situations where I've mentioned this and wondering whether or not people knew how stupid I was. But for some reason, I've been thinking that Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote Conan. Oh, he's John Carter. But they can't, who, who goes to Mars, but don't say Mars, because people well, want to say Mars. Well, that's what confuses me, is I've been, well, I think it's Tarzan. Like, he's the Tarzan guy, right? Yeah. For some reason, I've been you thinking. You thought he was British. <laughs> Remember? I know, I don't know what's going on, so I just feel a little bit wiser now that I've seen Conan the Barbarian 3D. So I will credit it with that. I didn't learn anything from Battle L.A., uh, so, but yeah. what did you learn from Conan? I learned that Robert E. Howard wrote the Conan stories and not Edgar Rice Burroughs. <laughs> so it's changed your life. It has. Dingus, what did you learn from Conan the Barbarian 3D? Well, I learned that uh, Kelly Wan wants things to be darker and bumpier. <laughs> if you know what I mean. And Kelly Wan, what did you learn from Conan the Barbarian 3D? I think Jace Momoa's uh, drapes match the carpet. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, no. three, and I want three to everybody else. Uh, <laughs> we made it. We made it out alive. Dude, no one wants By the way, I just... Don't, aren't we, so are we hypocrites for our behavior in Conan the Barbarian 3D? I get so mad when I go to a movie and there's some jerk-off talking and giggling with his buddies. I, I don't know, like, were we hypocrites for our leave. behavior in that movie? We were the only ones in there, eh? You know what? Well, there were, yeah. We're not prone to do that, even though we were in a, a herd of sausages. But it, so, you're saying it takes a very special movie to elicit that kind of behavior from us. Yeah, and I think if, if we'd seen it in a big theater, we would have been the quietest ones in it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I want to see the movie with And had any person turned around and said, uh, we would have shut up. I mean, okay. All right, I don't no. feel bad. I just hope that that couple in front of us wasn't enjoying the movie. They they stayed, though, so that I don't know what that means. I don't know. They were there. like stone figures that whole time. We're giggling and, I don't know. 
maybe they were watching. I don't know what was happening. Maybe they had their iPhones on or something. Maybe he was doing the popcorn trick, and they weren't even watching the movie. Hey, uh, the, oh, one thing I forgot to mention: the guy who did the music, Tyler Bates. I don't know who that is. Is he that the cross side or for a little movie called Super? Oh. oh. And also Watchmen. Oh, Tom's favorite movie. Tom's, <laughs> Tom's favorite cinematic penis. Besides the smart one that's blue. Speaking of favorite cinematic penises, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? Oh, uh, this one was mine. Um, my favorite cinematic wreck, not a penis. Uh, it's not wrecked penises. It's um, your favorite uh, wrecks uh, or wreckages in a movie. Uh, all right, let's start with me because I'm doing next week's three by three. So, Dingus, this was a weird one. I, I challenged myself to not actually do wreck as a verb, but to do wreck as a as a, a noun. Wait, did this work? Yes, this worked. So, all three of mine are the actual physical bits in the aftermath of the wreck. So, huh. you guys didn't have to do that, of course, but that's that was a challenge I set for myself. Uh, Mm. It's like watching the replays of those wrecks in that video game you like. What? Is that there? There's a video game where you 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 drive a truck and then you crash it, and then the whole point of the game is to watch the replay of you crashing into it in slow motion. Oh, it's one of the burnout games. Yeah, I used to love that. The original Burnout did that, but they lost all that and just became crappy racing games. But yes, Kelly Uh Wan, that was the aftermath of the wreck. But you were still enjoying wreck as a verb. For me, these are all things that have already wrecked. So it's the vehicle in the aftermath of the wreck. The wreck has happened. Favorite junkyards of Tom's. Ah, you got it. So uh-huh. I'm, uh, my number three uh, is a famous wreck. And actually, you know what? This might be cheating because I don't think it's wrecked so much as maybe broken down or run out of gas. It's still sitting on the road. But it figures so prominently in the opening. And two specific pieces from this wreck are huge in the development of the movie going on uh and it helps to establish the world very well and this is the wreck of the truck in the opening of road warrior which is a big old semi it's still got the trailer on the back of it and when the dune buggy the muscle car and the motorcycle ambush mad max in the last of the v8 interceptors that, that particular action sequence all comes to a head at the location of this wreck, this truck. And written on the side of the truck are the words, the vermin have inherited the earth. Uh, I love that, by the way, just as a way to establish a world. Uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, in 28 Days Later, when Killian Murphy goes into a church, someone has written on the walls of the inside of the church, the end is pretty fucking nigh, <laughs> which I, I love that kind of thing. And that reminds me of the writing on the side of the truck, you know, the vermin have inherited the earth. So two things come out of the wreck of this truck. First of all, the little music box that Max uses to befriend the feral kid. And the reveal of that music box, you know, it's on the body in the beginning of the truck, and it's like an audience scare scene. But the beauty of this audience scare scene is that the character isn't the least bit phased. (laughs) Normally, like a cat scare or one of these cheap scares also scares the character, and there's that connection between the audience and the character. When Max opens the door and this corpse falls out and that Brian May soundtrack blares and it's a jump, he doesn't care. Like, he's Mm -hmm. completely impassive. I love that about it. Uh, And, of course, the actual rig that he uses to rescue or not, the people uh, that he meets up with later, that's this wreck. That's this wrecked truck. Um, so I love just that's a, a 
I love the the sort of the narrative role and the look uh, and how the action takes place around this wrecked truck in the beginning of The Road Warrior. That's my number three. Is that right. the beginning or the end? The Road Warrior? It's both. Oh, yeah. Aha. Nice See? Uh, so but it is a... the beginning. Do you, uh, yeah. Kelly, so what? What? Uh, you're, actually, what? <laughs> you're actually the only one on this podcast besides me who's seen The Road Warrior. What? No I know. way. I know. Dingus has a penis. I've tasted it. <laughs> I mean, wait, I came out wrong. We're not wrong. Wow. Right <laughs> that came out wrong. Uh, wait, why wouldn't he see that? That's odd. What's wrong with you, Dingus? I love my accident? I loaned that movie to him for maybe literal years, and he still hasn't seen it. I don't even give a shit about cars, but I, I'd watch. It's hard to turn off. It's impossible. Yeah, I know. I know. But what when Dingus see what Dingus when you see that like sitting on your shelf like what do you think what do you look at like uh, fucking here's what I think chargers. I, I have a really good friend Dingus has this excuse to what about Tom I thought we were talking about Tom <laughs> nope I'm just talking about a generic friend hmm. um, I have two really good friends that I I I have gotten together for uh, thing we called steak apocalypse where we make steaks for each other and watch films on really good. Blu-ray and HD versions of films. And uh, one of my friends has a Blu-ray or HD version of Road Warrior. And I wanted to be able to see it on his really cool HD TV during one of these get-togethers, but I was never invited to do that. Okay, so I looked at the standard like DVD crappy version that I think was bootlegged and maybe taken off a cam. of. Some so you're the biggest fan of the theater. I'm only going to see it. Awesome. Exactly. Exactly. So, Dingus, the reason that that excuse doesn't work and doesn't hold water and, and I'm not going to accept it is you are allowed to watch movies more than once. That's true, but you can only yeah, watch a movie right. first time, one time. Right. That's true, too, and now I'm going to give you half credit. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, so, Kelly Wan, what is your number three best wreck or wreckage in a movie? Go. My favorite wrecks in movies always involve people making noises and screaming, like reactions to the wreck. Mm -hmm. But not always. Okay, my number three is... What? What? No, go ahead. I thought Tom said what. Uh, I did not. Oh. Go ahead, go with your number three, Kelly. Okay, my number three. My number three is uh, Martin Scorsese movie, The Aviator, when... uh, he crashes the plane at the uh, in the woman's uh, kitchen, and then catches fire. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. That's my number three. Dingus. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only wreck I can think of from a Scorsese movie where. Because uh, I have this theory that female authors are better than male authors at describing emotional states. But male authors are better at describing like giant things crashing into each other. And so Scorsese is kind of like a guy's guy director. But the helicopter and Goodfellas couldn't crash. So the aviator. That's my number three. <laughs> All right. That's a good wreck, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. You don't you don't remember that one? Yeah, no, I do. Doesn't it? It crashes in, like, Beverly Hills, and Howard Hughes gets all burned, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't he? Yeah, and he jumps out, and he catches fire. I like 
All minor ones that minor kind of prolonged wrecks that just keep going like for a really long time, mm-hmm. like longer than it takes to park. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, with a girl? Oh no! What? When? No, no. She said. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, Dingus. What is your number three favorite wreck or wreckage? Yeah, Kelly Wonder, all, all of yours are like the active wrecks, right? These feel like very different lists so far, which is fair, but... Uh, you mean active wreck? Well, because there's, there's, there's some great plane wrecks. Like, plane wrecks are a great motif in, in movies. And, you know, we'll get to that in a minute, because my number two touches on that. So, hold that thought. All mine are different forms of transportation. Ha ha. Good. Uh, no, what? So are mine. Mine are, too. Oh, Every single you... one of mine is a different form of transportation. You do know that the shuttle in the core is technically a plane, also. Uh, the sh- well, you it's do a space know. Plane. Yeah, but the underground train is something com- made out of unobtainium, is something completely different. So uh, that's, that's also a boat submarine. Yeah. It's a train because uh, it has different cars. And Stanley Tucci. Uh, wait, wait, is he in that? You know what? Let's not talk about the core. Let's talk about Dingus's number three favorite wreck. <laughs> All right, so uh, while Tom chose nouns, I chose verbs. Um, and I'm really, really bummed that Tom chose all nouns. Um, not because it, it was... derail the topic. Not because it was a not legitimate thing to do, because I did say wrecks or wreckage, too. And one of the things I took off the table was a plane wreck uh, uh, from Zombieland. Uh, that was just like, there's the plane sitting there in the freeway that they have to drive through that I really thought is just a cool visual. So I like, I like that Tom is limiting himself to this, but I don't like this because I deliberately avoided something that probably would have wound up on my list because I thought for sure Tom was going to choose it. And it's, and is it super eight, the opening train wreck in super eight? Because you loved super eight so much. I had cars. It is not super eight. It's something you've used on more than one list in the past. And uh, I thought for sure you would you would pick this, and and this is something that was on the original. I mean, I've had this this brewing on my uh, ideas. Uh, do- I mean, I you know I have, a, I have a document of ideas that I, I keep, and this has been one of the early ideas for that, and I avoided it and put something else on. Uh, so I'll just get to that in my runners up. By the way, I have no idea, Dingus. I have no idea what you're on about because nothing I have here is anything that I think you would think of or know about. But it would be a verb thing. That's why, that's why it's like this. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. Right. So I'm I'm upset because if you had gone for verbs, I think you would have would have gone for this. I'm fine with you going for nouns. That's absolutely fine. But I didn't think you would do that, so I avoided this specific movie, and we'll get to it on our runner-ups. So instead, I chose a movie that I absolutely hate uh-huh. uh, for my number three. But I really, this is my favorite part of a movie I hate, and. Um, so I feel a little conflicted about it uh, because uh, I think at almost every turn, the director of this particular movie ruins the scenes that he's directing. And the movie that I'm talking about is Let Me In, directed by Matt Reeves from last year. Oh, you saw it too? Yes, I did. I oh. saw it. We've talked about it in the three by threes uh, oh. as me having seen it. But I, I, the only time during that film that I was remotely interested in watching the film is in a car wreck in that film. 
And I really like the way it's shot. I like the the practical effects that they use. They use dummies. They use doubles. Uh, there's a gimbal that's used to rotate the car. It's not just CG. Uh, I don't like, again, as an adaptation, I think Let Me In is horrible. I think as an adaptation of a scene, this scene is horrible. But I like the wreck. I, it, you know, it's just a guy backing up a car in a frenzy. And then rolling down an embankment, and the camera feels like it's fixed within the car as the car rolls down an embankment. And it was the only time during the film where I went, oh, that's Matt Reeves. Thank you for showing up, you know, in the film that you were directing. Um, again, and I, I, all, you know, I tried to avoid, like, car wrecks at the end of car chases. This is not really that, but it is a frenzied situation. And I really like the way the uh, internal life of the car is seen as the car wrecks. Now, Diggis, how is that any different from, say, the this, this scene in Fight Club where the, the camera's inside the car when it's rolling? Uh, it's not. I just didn't think of that one. Because <laughs> that's kind of a classic trick that actually goes back to uh, the, there's an awesome scene in, in Close Encounters where Richard Dreyfus, the UFO, goes over his truck. Uh, and all the stuff in the truck starts rising, and the trick there is they just mounted the truck on a gimbal and turned it over, so the, so the gravity did its work, but the camera was mounted on the truck, so it looks like everything's floating up. And that's the same trick they do for, like, Fight Club, and I think there have been other wreck sequences like that. And Matt Reeves, I mean, I, I liked Richard Jenkins, and I, but I, that whole thing of putting the camera, putting the car on a gimbal and turning it over to making it look wreck, like it's wrecking, I... Maybe I'm just resisting giving Matt Reeves credit for anything and let the right and let me in. Uh, but when I think of that wreck with Richard Jenkins in the back of the car, I just go to like what David Fincher did in Fight Club, and even before then, what Spielberg did in uh, Close Encounters. Uh, well, I'm I'm willing to give Richard Jenkins Richard Jenkins Richard Jenkins a little credit for that uh, because of the of what's going on in the scene of him trying to escape this awful situation. If you think about the character he has to play in this and what is going on as he backs away from this gas station and it's a, a completely inept move. I mean, he's just driving backwards and he can't control the car. And it's that guy who I love in this, you know, playing a, a character that's pretty thankless in a, in a film that's horrible. Uh, but because of, of him trying to escape and what's going on in that scene, I think it's, for me, it's a little more meaningful than the other examples that you bring up. Richard Jenkins also did a great car wreck in the opening of uh, Six Feet Under. Yes, that's Reaching true. for a cigarette. Yeah. Mm. Uh, all right. Mine, uh, Kelly Wan, so you haven't seen Let Me In yet. No, but I, the best thing in Six Feet Under <laughs> was like Final Destination, <laughs> but with him. Uh, you should see Let Me In, and then we'll have a trifecta, or as all three of us will have seen it. Uh, okay, my number two, and this uh, th- this actually, this is like Dingus's. It's a movie I'm not super fond You know what? I am fond of this movie. It, it has a, a place in my youth, uh, and there is some good stuff in it. Having watched it as an adult, I'm not as fond of it, uh, but it's definitely, in ways, a seminal movie. And it also makes me think of scenes in other movies and as far as i can tell this is the first time that i saw this kind of scene now an important thing to keep in mind when the world ends and especially if it ends suddenly is that when the world ends there's going to be people flying around on airplanes what is going to happen to those airplanes that are in flight when the world ends what Mm -hmm. what 
Well, it depends on how it ends, but go on. Well, what if it ends really abruptly? Well, if the sun if the sun engulfs us like in your favorite movie, Knowing, the planes will die first. Right, but let's say there's that the, that the end of the world is something maybe more mystical or metaphysical or maybe oh, like 2012 maybe it's a metaphor. Okay. Uh, right. Or there's a there's a New Zealand uh, post-apocalyptic movie, New Zealand Vic, I think post-apocalyptic movie. What's the adjective for New Zealand? New uh, Zealous. No, right. New Zealous. There's a New Zealous, Zealous. post-apocalyptic movie called the, the Quiet Earth, where oh, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. people just suddenly vanish or die or whatever. And I remember seeing it as a kid and, and really being impressed by a scene where he comes across the wreckage of an airplane. And you can see the big old tail fin of the plane, and you can see some of the seats. Uh, and just as a kid, that kind of blew my mind. Like, holy cats, the world ended and this airplane fell out of the sky. That's amazing. And going back, you sort of see what a budget – they did this on, and it doesn't really hold up if you've seen things like Lost or you mentioned The Wreck in Knowing, but specifically, uh, or uh, even War of the Worlds, for instance, has, and I hate the scene in War of the Worlds because it makes no sense, uh, when Tom Cruise, Dakota Fanning, and whoever plays the sun are hiding in the basement, an airplane, an airplane for whatever reason, crashes on their house. Right. And then they they come out of the basement later and they see oh there's pieces of an airplane here and I, I don't know we were in the basement a couple of feet under that <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. I'm <laughs> I think Dad used uh, wood, plywood on the basement ceiling uh, but I just think of these uh, some of my favorite post apocalyptic like whoa a plane is dropping out you know planes dropping out of the sky Quiet Earth was one of the first instances of it but my favorite instance of it is in a Japanese movie called that i've talked about before called uh cairo 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 i don't know it, it, wait a minute so wait. number two is not the quiet earth it is the quiet earth because this is the All first right. instance right. instance of me seeing you know a, it when the world ends planes will fall out of the sky you know and i love that scene where this guy is just wandering through this small uh new zealous town uh where he doesn't know where everybody's gone what's happened to everyone and he comes across the wreckage of the plane i love that sequence okay uh, good well, i thought you were kelly wanding us with uh, i'm gonna say this one but my real one is this one no no like i think the sequence is inept in war of the worlds that is so ridiculous uh, uh that's number one though right <laughs> maybe no but when you brought up Jap the japanese one i thought you were giving us your real number two all right so no, go ahead. No, tell no. us about the japanese but one. that's the thing is in is in cairo and the remake with sarah michelle geller which is horrible there's a really cool scene near the end where the uh, where the world is I, I don't want to spoil it but cairo is an apocalyptic existential horror movie you could call it and the director put a scene in where it's a throwaway scene where this woman is trying to get through this ruined city and a flaming airplane just goes overhead and then crashes uh, and it's it's shot from down low with the woman. The plane's going over her head really low. And it obviously, obviously, I think, taps into some of the video we saw of the, the, the planes flying into New York on 9-11. Uh, just that, that mental picture. Yeah, uh, so uh, that's a great sequence in Cairo. And I think it's kind of indebted to what we saw in The Quiet Earth. Um, wow. And there's a there's a, a fellow named Brad Anderson did a horror movie called Vanishing on Seventh Street, which has a similar sequence as well, where everybody's vanished from the world and what's going to happen to planes in the sky. Uh, but it's straight out of Cairo. It's it's very much like that sequence uh, in the opening of Vanishing on Seventh Street. So because that's like wrecked planes are sort of a, a, at this point a fixture of post-apocalyptic stories. Uh, I'm going to pick Quiet Earth for being the first instance of that. Uh, and where it sort of wormed its way into my consciousness. Langoliers. 
You know what? I know. Like that's so. That's a Stephen uh, uh, King story where. Uh, oh, shut up. That's a Stephen King story where like the world ends while people are on an airplane. Yeah, not real. They're, uh, no? oh. Well, not exactly. They're in a warp where they're in like the past world, and the Langoliers eat our reality. So they escape it by being airborne. They have to like. What? Like the world's gone, but they're in a plane above nothing. Right. And then they have to find this little portal that they slipped through by accident. But they had to be unconscious to survive getting there. And everyone else who was awake is dead. Okay, well, I've lost interest. <laughs> except for their, except for the fillings in their teeth. Yeah, and their false teeth and stuff are on the on the seat. Tom, I'm the so oh, I'm wait. so pleased. Well, the the pilot was just uh, it was on autopilot. Uh, wake I remember the Langoliers. Uh huh. Yeah, I did. Actually. Remember the Jewish gunslinger character? Because I used to love all of Steven Spielberg's earlier. <laughs> yeah, Tom, I'm so proud of you for choosing Quiet Earth because I know you hate that now that I made you watch it again. I never what? said I hate it. What are you talking about? Oh, you totally made fun of having to watch it again. Ah, this is horrible. Well, parts of it are horrible. It's really dated, yeah. and where it ends up going. I mean, the character. I think the actors. I don't. Are bad. I don't oh, like Last Man on Earth stuff, where it turns out there's a girl and another dude. Like, all right, now it's just the same fucking movie. It would have been if no one had died. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys and a chick. So what? There's a plane. Whatever. All right. What are we gonna say, Tom? Uh, I don't dislike. I don't hate quite. I mean, I remember think, the last shot. It's awesome, and it's spoiled in the poster. Uh, but I think. Oh, that, that's right. That was your contention. There. Right. I think that. Yeah, we've had some disagreements about it, but I, I recognize the Quiet Earth that it, at the time was a great movie. I just think parts of it just don't hold up well at all. Uh, no, you're right. You're right. But it shook. It shook me when I saw it the first time. Part of the reason is what you're talking about. Yeah. Why did they do that on the poster? That's so stupid. That is our money. Sh- it's not well, the quiet to, earth part of the movie. <laughs> to be fair to the people who made the poster in those days, the reason I went to see it was because I opened a newspaper with my friend Friday night, and we said, what are we going to see? There's nothing opening. What you, the hell is that. this? That looks cool. It looks like it's sci-fi. Let's go. And, you know, you're not seeing the Internet. where we, we weren't big TV watchers. So just that picture made us go see it. It was a little black and white ad in a crappy, you know, Seaford, Virginia newspaper, and that made us go see it. And, well, I, I've come to agree with Tom that it, it's, it's sort of ruins it in our age. At that time, I mean, you have, you had to do that then. It ruined it. It's from the poster, and it also has the title of the movie and reviews from the poster also in the shot. Well, it makes the movie look like it's going to be some trippy Robert Heinlein kind of thingy. I, I don't know. I could grok that. It really does. You're absolutely right. And what what I think is great about the movie for me is that uh, even though it wasn't that, it still it still got me because of the way it's it's written and put together. Yeah, watching it yeah, again, wow. it's a lot that's dated. But oh, I really Jack like. Weaver is a great villain in this movie. Hmm. I better see Animal Kingdom. Wait, she's evil. What? Dingus, you remember this? You remember the scene in Quiet Earth where the, the girl comes in to serve him breakfast and she puts the tray on his lap and then she turns around and she's got an apron on, but she's not wearing any pants. So he sees her naked butt and he goes Whoop! and then he spills the coffee on his lap and it's really hot and it burns him. And the laugh track kicks in. Do you remember Wait, that part movie? of Quiet Earth? In Quiet Earth. Oh, Earth. <laughs> That's Do you remember that, Dingus? Wasn't that awesome? No, Are you I sure you're not thinking of Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas? Are you sure you're not thinking of the cop spilling coffee on his lap at the beginning of Final Destiny? Smoking the Bandit 3. Hey, oh, how do you know about the cop spilling? 
Shut up, Dingus. How does Sorry, Dingus, my mistake. How does Dingus know uh, about that? Kelly, what's your number two? <laughs> that, you fucker. I hate you. <laughs> That's my actual number two. Make it oh, tell us what it is, because it's your turn. Final Destination 2 is a, not a very good movie, but it opens with the greatest storyboarded uh, automotive wreck scene ever filmed, in my opinion. And it includes, which has to involve at least one thing I've never seen in another car wreck scene. And in this case, it's a log truck with a log smashing through a station wagon. Oh, no, wait, I think it's a police car. In my mind, it's a station wagon. It's definitely the cop. The cop's the one that gets the log in the face. Yeah, gets his head taken off by a log coming at him. And I'm just picturing death uh, as Tony Todd, like, mapping all that out on storyboard, like, from heaven where death lives. (laughs) All right. Mog comes down this way, and then uh, the motorcycle guy thinks he's dead already, but then I'm going to slam this fucking flaming uh, hover trank into him. Hover trank. <laughs> anyway, yeah, dude, that's great shit. Oh, Kelly, Kelly Wand, in what movie does that happen, but when, instead of with a log, with a surfboard? Uh, Wait, wait, wait. It's uh, Lethal Weapon 2. Very good, Kelly Wand. You, that's you an awesome wait. one. Oh, that's a good one. Fuck, wait, that's almost kind of better. The thing right. is, I can't. I feel left out. Like you guys are doing. There's all these. There's just way too many great, like actual crash scenes. That uh, I, 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 it sucks that I took the hard way out. But you know what? Fine, whatever. Tell me. Okay, I wrote a pirate script one time. Tell me <laughs> you took the like hard way out. <laughs> I did. That is response to my Final Destination two pick too. Like oh, like that's the easy one. Oh, just say whatever Dingus says. He makes a joke about spilled coffee. You say log truck. <laughs> I, on the other hand, picked adverbs is my death wreck. Oh, but anyway, Tom, picture this. Yes. Ten-year movie producer, and I'm pitching you this. Okay, okay I don't like it. Okay, uh, <laughs> it's realistic. And, what else do you got? Okay, pretend this isn't a meeting like all my real meetings. Oh, okay, I see. I see. I'm actually in your office for three seconds longer than I actually am. Mm-hmm. Uh. Okay, pirate script, where the pirate ship is rigged with these gunpowder kegs, and it goes over a waterfall, and it lands on top of this other ship at the bottom of the waterfall, like the English Navy, and then they both blow up. And then a friend was trying to convince me it should be firing cannons as it goes over the waterfall, but I had trouble picturing that. I like it, kid. You got heart. Give me that Kelly Wan moment, or Kelly Wan feeling. <laughs> By the way, I want to say, Kelly Wan, when you were doing the synopsis and you were talking as Conan the Barbarian, it actually sounded like Keanu Reeves. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I thought you were going to say Alex Winter for a minute. What an asshole. <laughs> uh, I like that, Kelly Wan, the, uh, the pirate ship going over the waterfall. And it actually makes me think of, a, of one of my favorite video game wrecks. Uh, early on in the game Uncharted, uh, which is kind of a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of thing, uh, they come across, they're in the Amazon, uh, and they're, they're just faffing about in the jungle or whatever, and they come across a Nazi submarine in the jungle. Hmm. Isn't that cool? Wait, that in, on the ground? Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, like, like the, the Black Rock on Lost or whatever that yeah. ship was called. Ha uh, uh, you remember. Uh, I mean, that's wasted of... brain space forever now. <laughs> but I love that. I love the, the cognitive disconnect of you're exploring the jungle and holy cats, it's a Nazi submarine. I think I think that's they... not a wreck, though. No, it's right. Well, I think they explained that it had s- sailed up the 
Amazon and then it had gotten stranded or something. Or I what about explain when the, the aliens in Close Encounters left there? Nope, it's not in there because it, first of all, it's not an aircraft carrier; it's just a ship, isn't it? But that's a, that's a deleted scene. It's not in Close Encounters. It's in the remake or the special edition, which is the real one because it's special. Ah, well, I love that visual. You know, the ship in the desert, like coming across a boat in the desert. I can't believe that wasn't in the the original. Yeah. What about the planes in the other desert? <laughs> I don't know why they had to be. I can see now why they had to cut one or the other. Now <laughs> they parked the planes of the aircraft carrier that you're saying is not a, is saying is a. I don't think it's an aircraft carrier in Close Encounters, is it? The planes is it an aircraft are carrier planes. that the mega piranha eats. Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, the planes were planes that went missing in the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, the ship is right. I don't know what it is. It's just a ship that went missing in the Bermuda Triangle that they find in the desert. I don't think an aircraft carrier ever disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Tom, why did the aliens do that? They did that because they you shit back. Yeah, they were looking for a refund. They didn't have the receipt. I like that I'm doing a 50 year old smoker bar fly, and that to you is Keanu Reeves. Do your Conan real quick. You know what? You know what it is, Kelly Wan. It's your your California comes out when you're doing Conan uh, the Barbarian. Dingus it's Samoa, and Hawaii's like the California of Oregon. Okay, give us a Conan line real quick. Crom's devils, these balls are still dry. <laughs> now that that to me, <laughs> that's what Keanu Reeves would sound like if he was trying to sound all gruff. Oh. I I just hear that sort of. Keanu Reeves lilt in your voice. It really comes out when you do your Conan. Like he was in The Replacements? Uh, Didn't see that movie. Ah, <laughs> <liar>. <laughs> All right, anyway, so there we go. Uh, Final Destination 2, Kelly Wan's number two pick for Favorite Wreck, and that is a great sequence. I love that sequence in Final Destination 2. Uh, I, I it's love the five no one that they are aping Final Destination 2 from 3D. Well, the Final Five one, uh, they're all – it's funny. They're all – they're on a bridge, but all the traffic is stopped on the bridge, uh, which makes it all very static. It's just a bunch of cars standing there, and the bridge starts falling underneath them. I mean, there's something – there's it, that, that scene in Final Destination 2 is really kinetic. You know, all the cars are moving. Something falls off one car, and it hits the car behind it, and the car behind it hits it. I mean, that's something that I think everyone can relate to. You're going super fast on the freeway. What if something goes wrong? Uh, I love that scene in Final Destination. And all the crashes in the Final Destination 2 are kind of different from each other. Like yeah. it's, I don't know. It's just good rhythm. It, Conan could learn a lot from Final Destination 2 editing wise. I think we all could. Fucking noobs. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number uh, two favorite wreck? First of all, did you just bring up Uncharted? I did. Huh. He charted it. Why do I... I think that the writers of Conan are writing Uncharted. Oh, there's not. Uh, I don't wait. doubt it, but there's a there's been opponent writers. Uh, yeah, there uh, people have been trying to float an uncharted script around for a while. I mean, that's something that's been bouncing around for a while. I don't think I think David David O. Russell was actually attached for a while and backed off. So that's yeah, that's one of those things in development limbo. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Yahoos who wrote Conan have moved on to try to do a video game adaptation. That seems about their speed. Ugh, right. I hate. Uh, I fucking hate the writing in Conan. I want to murder those guys. I'm very upset. Kelly Wand, I live, I love, I slay, and I am content. Dude, I was so pumped. It would take them so little to appease me and please me in Conan, and they couldn't even do that. Couldn't even fucking. Do that. Kelly Wand, what is most important when forging a blade? 
uh, context, character, uh, <laughs> connection. And choreography. Choreography. choreography thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, what is your number okay, two it's... favorite uh, wreck? Whenever you say that I live, I love thing. It, 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 there's, this is something neither of you have seen, but I love cooking shows. And uh, one of my favorite. Big surprise. No, one of my favorite uh, chef, like celebrity chefs, is a dude named Anthony Bourdain, and he has this show called No Reservations, where he just goes around the world and he gets in extreme situations and eats food there. Uh, and the beginning, the the little blurb at the beginning is, you know, I, so I I live, I eat, I cook, and I'm hungry for more. And whenever you say that little blurb, it just makes me think of No Reservations. Wait, I think of what's the Wolfgang Puck thing? Isn't there a Wolfgang Puck commercial where he's like, live, love, eat? Gray. There's the guy okay. who goes, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, it's this fucking cheap ass <laughs> sport, is there? By the way, you don't know who I am, but I'm really fucking rich. And All right, number two for me, uh, you know, Kelly Wan was bringing up death uh, in his number two. Mm-hmm. My number two movie, the title is Another Word for Death. Ah, wait. I know Morte. this because I know words. Morte. Wait, uh, Muerta. Wait, uh, what Repose. other languages are there? Little sleep. Is French a language? Petite mole. Uh, condia. Conliver. Scallop. I guess you should probably just give us a line from the movie, because I think we're, we're probably better equipped to, to approach it from that angle. I'm really not going to give you a line for a movie. Uh, Magnolia. This is going to bring us down regardless. Um, so I'm just going to tell you the name of the movie. It's a, it's a 1997 movie called The Sweet Hereafter. Who calls it that? <laughs> Why would it be sweet? At any it's rate. Quite a bit. Delicious. Um, yes. It's directed by Adam Agoyan, and, uh, and this is a wreck that made a huge impression on me when I saw it. It just made me, I just caught my breath and, yeah. And it's, it's when, you know, it's when the, uh, when you see the bus. It's not really when you see the bus go over the embankment, although that's shocking when, it's it's just I just remember that moment where I first saw the movie and the bus just goes out there over this frozen lake and then just starts to disappear. And that wreck just knocks me out. And I've watched it a couple times um, since then. And it just it's terrifying. And I saw this before I had a kid uh, and it just knocked me out at the point because it's just so shocking to watch that thing happen. It's not the kind of pyrotechnic wreck that Kelly's talking about with final destination, which is really cool. And I like watching that because of, of the choreography involved. Uh, this is just shocking emotionally to me uh, because of what's going on in the sound of the film and, uh, and what's going on emotionally. And also just the, you know, part of the, Part of the credit goes to uh, the actors involved in the in the scene. I mean, and the way the sound goes. I mean, it, there's just a lot that's built into that. It's not again, it's not a pyrotechnic wreck, but it's a, a, an amazing moment in a really, really beautiful movie. Uh, it's also it's it's so unexpected too because when the bus does go over the embankment, you're like, oh well, there it goes. And then there's the shot of the bus having just rolled out on the frozen lake, and you're like, oh. I guess they're okay. You know what? That wasn't so bad. 
and then it does the ice falls underneath it and it starts to sink in and it also refuses to let you close to it like you see everything right. from a distance and it adds to that sense of, of helplessness like you can't do anything about it you can't share in their experience which is kind of the theme of the movie uh, you are so removed from you know how terrible that is and you're just helpless on the edge of the the frozen lake watching it happen uh, unlike the the traditional you know, the, the more contemporary way to do Rex with digital effects and stuff is putting people in the car or like the gimbal with Richard Jenkins in the car and let me in. Uh, the fact that you're so far removed from what's going on, how terrible that is in Sweet Hereafter. Uh, yeah. And you're also with Bruce Greenwood at the moment, and there's not a thing he can do. Ah, right. Yes. Right. And, you know, he's waving to the kids the moment before, and then his face just changes, and then the camera shifts, and there's no chance for you to see what causes it, I mean, which is the point. Um, but it just goes and he jumps out of his truck and he, and then he sees it. Like you said, what you think is in your mind, it's this rolling explosion rolling down and, you know, he, they've gone off a cliff essentially. And then it just, the bus appears and then it disappears and he's just like shit. And he has to run down the hill to no effect. Obviously it's obvious that there's going to be no help that he can do. Uh, and you're with him and it's exactly what you said. You're not given that sort of bizarre comfort of being in there and watching the deaths happen and you just know their children and you know it's happening dingus what happened to adam mcgoyan <laughs> god uh i don't know naked ladies i have no idea <laughs> uh so you have have you seen chloe or that that thing he did about terrorism or or even error rat like his most recent movies i just oh gosh I'm just so over Adam McGoin, and I feel bad about it because his early stuff is still so brilliant. Well, I don't know. Because... Go over the line, they never did again. But he's like an art director. Hard to tell what happens because if you watch Sweet Hereafter, it's so well done, and you just don't see where where does that go. Okay, well, I'm giving you both homework, and I want you to rent Chloe. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I want to change up Chloe. <laughs> Don't don't rent Chloe. Actually, the thing about Chloe, I think Chloe's a remake of like a French farce. It's not even a farce. It, it, it's no. in, it's an inadvertent farce. Uh, so Chloe is Liam Neeson and Julianne Moore. Their marriage is on the rocks, mm. and Liam or Julianne Moore is feeling unappreciated, mm -hmm. and so she hires. She runs into this super hot hooker in a bar, mm. played by uh, Amanda Ryan Gosling. <laughs> no, that's Tom's beard. <laughs> Amanda Seyfried, Seyfried, the chick from uh -huh. Jennifer's Body. So Amanda Seyfried, super needy. hot, super sexual. Yeah, exactly, needy. So cute in that movie, in Jennifer's Body. But she's a super hot hooker in Chloe, and her name is Chloe. So Julianne Moore hires her, and she's like, look, I think my husband doesn't appreciate me anymore. I want you to try to seduce him to test him. To see if he's what? really faithful to me. A horrible idea. <laughs> I know. What did she think? My husband's already disaffected. <laughs> I'll throw someone really hot in his face and be disappointed and pay for it. So guess where the movie got? So you, the movie can become – at this point, you're like, what the heck kind of movie is this going to be? It ends up being a movie about Threesome. Uh, Amanda Seyfried – uh, basically making up stuff about how she's having sex with Liam Neeson and tricking Julianne Moore into thinking she's having an affair with her husband. Mm. And she turns out to be a psycho killer. Oh. 
That's the thing. Keep the money? That's a terrible deal. <laughs> no, she no, she keeps the money, and that's the stuff that Adam McGoyan thinks. This is what I want to direct. When I tried to find a hooker to do this, I didn't realize I was going to be running into riffraff. <laughs> so, I all right. Julianne Moore in my oh. mental script for the movie I haven't watched. Uh, you guys should see it. Go ahead, watch watch Chloe and. Uh, it sound good, like everything that I don't. <laughs> I'm failing miserably at the intended effect. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, but you know, I just uh, you know do exactly. That's how I feel if someone saw Conan after listening to us. Like if they saw Conan based on anything like that. Oh, I hope. Funny. Yeah, I, that synopsis was funny. I hope I should see it. <laughs> Be funny. I hope we didn't do that for anyone. So, all right, Dingus, sweet hereafter. Thanks for bringing us down, jerk. Yeah. Sorry about that. Nice move. Kelly Wan, can can you salvage this with your number wait, where are no, we? No, I think you're gonna have to, Tom. Yeah. With your I number just, one. So number I, one, Tom. In making my list, I was trying to do like a new kind of grid system and I have it all messed up. So we're at my Zintron. We're at my number one already? Okay. My number one this is again not you, you don't finally. you don't actually see the wreck. This is you see the wreckage. And what I love about this is it's a sci-fi movie that is actually trying to present what an experience would be like that's completely alien that we don't understand. And this wreck isn't even called a wreck. And and you guys might even dispute whether or not it's a wreck. And I'm willing to accept that because it's not clear. Um, and what is seen inside of this wreck is I think we all know what it's called, but it's never called that in the movie as far as I know. And it's the opening of Alien where the Nostromo is responding to this this beacon, and it lands, and there's like a, a base or a ship, and there's this weird-looking fossilized elephant thing with a hole in it, and they find the eggs, of course, and they bring them aboard the Nostromo, and the rest is history. But I always think of that early bit with what, what we know of as the space jockey, and they never say that in the movie. I think we just all, right. all know it's called that because we've read about it, and we know H.R. Giger designed this stuff. I thought jockeys were small. Right, you know what? Yeah, why is he called a space jockey? And yeah. is he is he riding something? And you can't really tell. Oh, yeah. it, it is so completely unhuman, and it doesn't relate to what. And that's Giger's genius, I think, for the design. Uh, so that's that's my number one favorite wreck is is just how completely alien the wreck is at the beginning of, of Alien. And is that a wreck? You know how they fuck it up now. They'd CG the wreck. And Ridley, Ridley Scott was talking about it. the original. His Alien prequel was going to be about that. I know. Why would you want to do that? There's a, I, everything I need to know or want to know. I was shown in Alien, and and if you fill in the gaps, you're just going to mess it up. <laughs> they even thought that bums me out. Like right. he's he's past it. It makes me so glad that that did not happen. He's yeah. John Carpenter. He's Woody Allen. He's over. he's Wachowski'd. He's Lucas. Robin Hood broke him. <laughs> But that is a wreck, right? Isn't the concept that you're given like we're we're, we're letting like this it. is a spaceship, right? That these guys were flying, the aliens busted into their. We don't even know that the alien caused the wreck. Maybe uh, it just found. Come on, no, th- this is another ship. It's like it's like an, an endless loop. This is another ship that that it's the previous experience. It, it's the Nostromo, back like back one step. Like these aliens keep piggybacking onto, you know, the acid-spitting aliens keep piggybacking onto other races' ships. And what happened in the Nostromo happened before on this space jockey ship with all these uh, other aliens, these third-party aliens. We don't even know what they look like. We just see that one big old fossilized guy on that telescope-looking thing. And no other fossilized guy. Right. Which means 
was he alone? Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. Was he alone? And it, it was a ship, right? And what does it even look like? We don't know because be kind of like Nostromo, we never get one clear shot of it as a wrecked ship. You just see these odd shapes sticking up out of the landscape through the astronauts' cameras. I think. Actually, no, you do see it when they're walking towards Also, it. if the alien facehuggers are exactly the right size for human faces, how did the facehugger get on the space jockey space? Or is that a different kind of... You know what? That's a very good point, Kelly Wand. Also, what are the aliens living off of? On Like, who laid those eggs, and what have they been living off of since they, the one dude on that planet with nothing on it? Because there's no queen in the first alien. Uh-uh. That's right. We would have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> she was just sleeping in another chamber somewhere. Right. Yeah. Ripley, well, that... missed, Ripley not, forgot, didn't notice there's actually two aliens in, with her. Never mind. The other one's on Earth. Shut up, Kelly. Well, and that's why too. I don't want to see any of the stuff in the in the extended cut of Aliens. I don't. I don't want to see what happened to the colonists finding that. What that... about the the deleted scene where Dallas is in the cocoon that Ripley finds? That that's they... a whole other ecology. That's apocryphal. I like you. <laughs> All right, so there's my number one, Kelly. One, what is your number one favorite? Oh, that was a great choice, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I am a little envious, even. No, I, I agree. Uh, I was going to choose uh, something from the sequel for that, for the Verb version of that. But I, re- I, I really thought about that as a wreck. I think you're right. It is a wreck. And I like that. I like the amount of information we're given. Because it feels like, in some ways, one of those science magazines I read as a kid uh, that has that back page full of photographs of super, super close-ups of things, and you're supposed to guess what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Because... Humans don't have context really to figure out some of the things that are going on there. This, we're just trying to lay over what is our what is our idea of a spaceship or our idea of a pilot, and there's vague ideas of what those things are. But I think it very clearly is what you're talking about the the early version of the Nostromo and the wreck and the space jockey is the the captain of the ship, but melded to the ship maybe or maybe not. We don't know, uh, but I like that. And, and also, I, I just want to say, one of uh, an art that horror movies have forgotten, by and large, is not explaining stuff. Yeah. That's a huge thing to do to your audience. And that, as soon as a horror movie wants to explain something or break it down or give it an explanation, I mean, yeah. that's where most horror movies completely fall apart. Leaving the audience confused or with incomplete information is a crucial tenet of, of, a, yeah. of a good horror movie. Uh, you know, that's why I think one of our beefs about paranormal activity too is don't explain stuff. You yeah. know, you can tell us that it's beyond human experience, like it did in paranormal activity. That's all we need to know, and that's how Alien was. It's beyond human experience. Don't don't give us details. Just leave that's us. What I like about the Ring, and then they ruin the Ring that way. Like that Japanese horror, actually, that's one of the brilliant brilliant things of Cairo, and I think why some people don't like that that the that sort of version of Japanese horror as much. Uh, but it's scarier if you don't understand it. You know what? So in Cairo, there's this weird thing where some of the characters put, I think it's like like red masking tape over the windows. And then the movie never explains that. I mean, there are other touches like that, but I love that we see that. It's an important detail, and nobody tells us anything about it or why to do it or what it means. Uh, Or does it have to be tape, or is it the color? Yeah, and it doesn't matter. Quit explaining stuff, horror movies. Don't explain the stuff to us. Uh Just make it happen and make it creepy. So, anyway. And especially if it's been done properly, don't go back and explain it in a prequel. We don't need that. I don't, you know, your point about that is perfect. I don't want to know those things because the movie already is effective. And And that that fear of the unknown is 
is a basic part of who we are and why we develop, you know, not to get too highfalutin, but why do, why we develop such things as religions to describe where we're from because we're so afraid of the unknown that we yeah, can't stand it. And I like that, that there are some people who are bold enough to, no, we're not going to tell you, and that's so frightening. Well, Dingus, don't you want to know what happened to the little girls when they were little in Paranormal Activity 3? Don't you want to really just go back further and explore what happened to Katie and whatever her sister's name was when they were little tiny girls? I mean, isn't that important to know? (laughs) (laughs) If the prequel will tell me about where Abby came from, I'll be happy. Abby the dog, yes. We love Abby the dog. But also, too, just to read it's another thing that makes Alien amazing is the way the characters are reacting to that stuff. Is there's a real sense of wonder and confusion, and like when they're looking at the uh, when they're approaching the ship, they kind of sound like they're starting to lose their shit. Because Ash is the fucking robot, and he's like, "We have to go on, can't the tank turn back?" <laughs> and it's just this wind howling, you can't see shit, and it's like that's what the characters are saying. like we can't see shit like that's the scary part of it is like we we're in this hostile environment doing something dumb that might actually be one of the lines from the super hot uh veronica cartwright oh my god <laughs> but also too when they're dissecting the facehugger skeleton later and they're like peering over ash's shoulder and he's like Ugh, like he's annoyed at them and but they can't stop looking at it like what the fuck is that thing on here you know i am constantly watching and i i this is just such a – it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like I'm lost and I'm searching, but I'm constantly watching crappy alien ripoff horror sci-fi low-budget movies on Netflix, like looking for, for something that can appreciate and replicate that sense of like yeah. what – you know, interplanetary exploration would be like in the unknown. And, and invariably, it's something like shot in somebody's basement with it. Yeah. I just watched something last night called Interplanetary, which is like about a Mars colony. And I, God, there are just so many people who are aping alien without understanding what made right. it great. Including uh, Ridley Scott. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and that's another thing. Like we were joking about not being able to tell the tell what they were saying in the in Conan movie in the Conan movie. But there was this great like Altman esque approach to dialogue in Alien. Yeah. Uh, you know they, these were and they're all bored and like uh, yeah. Well, like she's smoking a cigarette in. It is grid. so blue collar. Like yeah. space is so blue collar in Alien. Okay. Jobs, fucking mining. <laughs> Fuck. Dude. Yeah, their their percentage and like Brett talking about the bonus yeah. and, and stuff and that's yeah. so good. Uh, all right, let's let's. Why can't they do that anymore? It's so much cheaper. You know what? Yeah, I'll tell you why, Kelly. Juan. Alien is a is a seventies movie. It's but, it's it's seventies filmmaking. But those techniques are as ancient as uh, Campfire Tales and. Uh, <laughs> Because there's there's no characters over thirty in any movies more anymore because they're all marketing them toward children who want to watch Taylor Lautner. I, I don't know why that is because Thanks, we're still Jake. the ones going to movies. That that's what's happening. Well, that's you're the it. parent. You're the one running this. So it's in a way your fault. Me and Tom, our genes won't go on. That said, Taylor Lautner would make a heck of a Dallas. He's dreamy. Dallas. Don't say that. Someone could be listening to this. Taylor Lautner looks like a young Tom Skerritt. We could do a prequel. You're fired. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wand, what is your no, wait? Yeah, Kelly Wand, what is your number one favorite? Re- you know what? I can't read. Like, I, I've I've totally screwed up my record keeping here. I think we're on your number one, Kelly Wand. What's your number one favorite? I'm in the middle because I don't have to do anything tonight, which is always relaxing. But 
can you think of anyone like is there like a poor man's Taylor Lautner? Like <laughs> Isn't Taylor Lautner a poor man's yeah. Taylor Lautner? Right, right. But is there it's like would you say the situation is like if you're gonna go down from Taylor Lautner? If there is here's what I would, would you say, say you're gonna go down on Taylor Lautner? No, from 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 <laughs> from oh, good God. Kelly Wand, if there is a poor man Taylor Taylor poor man's Taylor Lautner, I'm confident I don't know his name. Oh, or hers. My number one wreck is, and I, I kind of hate it. I hate having to say it, but I, when I think about it, it just, I have to give it up. Is the Titanic and Titanic? It's fucking great. Is it really? Because I've seen Titanic once in theaters, and it kind of went in one ear and out the other. It, is the it does two and a half hours. Oh, the singing part's awesome. Because there's like, uh, you're already seeing like. There's no, there's no talking. There's this one really cool scene where Kate Winslet and Leo are like on the top because now the, the the boat's going down vertically and Leo DiCaprio is the only guy on the ship who's figured out that's how it's going to go. <laughs> Solo, the shotgun, poker player, uh, dancer, artist, sketch artist, engineer, whatever he is. Anyway, um, but they're like looking down at the ship as it's about to go down, and then there's like people hanging from the rail like below them and they just kind of look at each other like oh yeah you went you went with the outside that's kind of that's smart and then they and then they just drop and fall like really slowly really languid scene and then after they've all fallen then the second half of the boat cracks down and then it lands on all the people who are in the water so it's just like those people are freezing to death they're like oh well at least we're and then the boat falls on them Fucking great! <laughs> All right, I mean, horrifying and real. I don't know. It's just it captures what that must have felt like. I just don't feel like I can stomach the rest of that movie to get. No, to you don't part. have to. Just watch the wreck part, the last twenty minutes. Can I borrow your your Blu-ray version of it? I don't own that movie. I just don't pretend. It. Liar, liar! What? I'm calling you out, Kelly Wan. You own Titanic. No, I'm such a movie buff. I can appreciate an awesome boat sinking sequence even though it's 10 minutes before an old woman throws a jewel off and then of <laughs> euphemisms get it Kelly one you were talking about character and context earlier if you just wanted you know yeah but about Conan <laughs> hearing you know, Kelly hearing Kelly describe that scene the all, all that sequence makes me wish there was some sort of a comic book where Kelly Wan did that and, and somebody like R. Crumb drew those panels of like, and then the other part of the boat cracks off and the people who are freezing the water went, ah. <laughs> I should, I could just remake Titanic. It's, they're remaking everything already. It'll be Kelly Wan's James Cameron's Titanic. Can we get Taylor Lautner in that? Yeah. He's the captain. It explains everything. <laughs> We're only going to be able to afford the poor man's Taylor Lautner. It's a cross-eyed werewolf. The, the iceberg looks like it's going to go off to the starboard side, and he doesn't know which side starboard. He's Taylor Lautner. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> iceberg aft. No, Captain. His name's Taylor Lounter, but he's cross-eyed and classic. <laughs> Poor Taylor Lautner. I'm sure he really gives a shit what I think. Anyway. All right, Titanic. I did not expect that we would see Titanic on many of our 3x3s. I'm glad it finally emerged. Uh, well played, it's, Kelly. Uh, it's the last great James Cameron moment. 
it's the last great because there's some good shit in Terminator 2, but there's it's not nothing's as good as the Titanic. Like I want him to do all disasters. I think he should do another love and let's start. Nine Eleven always cracks me up. Dude, that'd be awesome. Anyway. Uh, let's let let's let him. I, I just think he should go backwards. He should do a Hindenburg movie. Maybe I, now I feel like I should have picked United '93 as the best ride. On that note, Dingus. Yeah. Dingus, what is your number one favorite wreck? Uh, I feel bad that I've denied you guys uh, quotes. What? You made us have to guess what a euphemism for death was. That's like a quote. Yeah, it's like a quote, but you didn't really buy it. So I'm going to give you guys a quote for this last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people who die in the woods die of shame. Wrecked? Uh, the yearling. No. Uh, the happening. Did it? Most people who die in the woods die. Actually, it would fit with wrecked. That that thing where Adrian Brody's car goes off a cliff and he's pinned in the car. Evil Dead Two. It's not any of those things. And this, uh, I was inspired to actually launch the topic after watching this movie a couple weeks ago because we watched another of this director's movie two movies, I think two, two or three weeks ago. And, uh, and then I watched this film of his, which I really like. The director is named Lee Tamahori and the movie is The Edge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't remember the and wreck. The, the, the wreck is, yeah, it's the, it's the little plane. The cause of the wreck is a little goofy because it's a flock of geese smacking into the plane. But the wreck itself, I really love it. Um, it's uh, this this pontoon water landing plane. I don't know what they actually what you call it, um, but it, they're flying uh, they're flying all the male leads somewhere to try to get this guy to help them out uh, to be uh, the model in their their little shoot that they're doing and they have to fly somewhere else. So they're flying through Alaska and, uh, these geese smack into the plane and there's some non-digital goose blood all over the plane. A murder of geese. The plane starts to go down and there's this great sort of thing that's happening where the engine is really loud and the, and they're all screaming and there's this frenetic activity inside the cockpit full of like feathers and just, it's just, crazy and then um the the plane grazes this crest of one of the mountains and one of the pontoons gets ripped off and the engine cuts out and then you just get this shot of the plane drifting down and just smashing into the water you, there's this one shot of one of the pontoons sort of limply hanging off of the plane before it crashes into the water uh and i and just watching that a couple of weeks ago um, in a movie that I think uh, much better than The Devil's Double. Um, the same director, Lee Tamahori, who directed The Edge. I really like that wreck. So there you go. It's a, it's a plane wreck, not like the one that Kelly just mentioned before I did this, but it's it's uh, my number one plane wreck or wreck in a movie. Okay, Dingus, I hate to tell you this. I hate to tell you that you're wrong. Uh-oh. But you're wrong. How am I wrong? Uh, you're wrong because you haven't seen the movie that does that far better and makes it. I, you know what? I, you're, you're not wrong. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. But when you when you describe that, I'm like, oh, Dingus needs to see another movie to be convinced of this is done better. And I, I shouldn't even say it because it's kind of a spoiler. Uh, but again, it's it's a matter of almost 70s filmmaking. Arthur Penn, I think before Bonnie and Clyde. Wait, 
Spencer right. Hill. Or, no, no. What did Arthur Penn no, no. do? Arthur what? Penn's fun and Clyde. Oh, he is Arthur Treacher. Thinking of Arthur Treacher. Well, that was his first what, Kelly Wand? No, that was the movie that where everything started getting good after Bonnie and Clyde for a few years. Now they're back to CG. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, well, shortly after uh, Bonnie and Clyde, he did a, a Gene Hackman detective movie called Night Moves. Have you seen that, Kelly Wand? No. Oh, man, I would think you should. Anyway, so th- I shouldn't say anything, but the, the wreck that Dingus is describing, it is so it is such an awesome part of Night Moves. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to say anything just because of how that movie ends and just the visual impact and how it – I just want to say if you want to see a small, as Dingus calls it, pontoon water plate or whatever, if you want to see that figuring <laughs> prominently into an incredible set piece, I think you need to see Night Moves. Uh, it's, a, it's a great – Gene Hackman movie. It's just 70s filmmaking at its best. It, it does such cool stuff with that de- that sort of detective noir uh, genre. Uh, What's so, the Sylvester Stallone movie where he owns Rutger Hauer terrorism? Oh, Nighthawks. Nighthawks. Yeah, All right, that's, I get those two mixed up because I'm an imbecile. Now, if you see Night Moves, you will not forget the, the forget. title. Yeah, you won't be confusing <laughs> so, that with uh, Rutger Hauer as a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So Mr. Sloan is a housewife for his disguise. Uh, but okay, so Dingus, you're number one. Uh, very good. The Edge. Uh, and then a bear promptly comes along and upstages everyone. <laughs> yeah, Bart the Bear. The Edge, uh, also known as Jaws with Claws, I believe. Oh, nice. Isn't that true? No, I'm not making that up. Someone, I think someone does, that that might even be on like the poster or something, isn't it? I know Poseidon like, yeah. was Jaws on a boat. No, <laughs> so here's one of my favorite wrecks. Uh, and again, not not the verb, but the noun. How about Ben Gardner's boat? Uh, all yours are all. Why are you going there? Well, well, I know, I know, but when they come across it, and you've already seen Ben Gardner in the boat, and it, it's actually a it's a it's a rinky dink little boat compared to like the orca. Uh, but Ben Gardner's boat, you know what? Screw all y'all's choices. The orca, the orca sinking. Yeah, I just I just pwned both of you. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> hey, let's change all of our all three of our. <laughs> but I just get come on. What happens at Ben Gardner's boat? Did that not freak you guys out? Yeah, but not as much as the orca. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Could freak me out more. more than that. <laughs> all right, runners up. So uh, shoot fast. <laughs> what runners up did you guys have? I almost I was thinking about um I kind of like the end of Speed Two in a way because it seems like a lot of hassle to have is that is that the boat one yeah the boat one it's it's Jason speed. Patrick on a boat and Willem Dafoe something with a bomb can the boat not slow down or something well yeah even though he turns a crank and the whole point of the movie is they have to save the day and they save all the whole point is they save their lives through their brilliance by turning cranks and shit from William Defoe, and then they just get lucky that their boat crash doesn't kill anybody because it's a PG thirteen movie, unlike Speed One. But so it has a big old like boat crash set piece. Like the dog barks at the anchor dropping, I think at one point. Like that's that's the level of how much we're supposed to enjoy the gravity of a boat crashing. <laughs> the dog's not even interested, or vaguely interested. The dog's humping it. But wait, so you're saying it is an awesome wreck, or it's not an awesome wreck? Uh, both. <laughs> All right, well, that makes me want to see Speed 2. Also, uh, the wreck in the credits for the $6 million man. That's TV, but okay. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, you mentioned something that you said you thought I was going to pick? I thought, it, uh, before I knew you were going to constrict yourselves only to nouns, 
Um, I thought you would go for what you chose for one of your choices for best CG, and that would be the Reckon adaptation. Uh, or Punch Truck uh, Love. Or Punch oh. Truck Love. Both of those have sort of Spoiler. the same surprise feel, or even No Country for Old Men. Um, but the one in adaptation is particularly, uh, what word do you love? Visceral. Let's use that. There's a good, there's a good wreck noun, like the actual wrecked car in, uh, how about Hesher? Stroker Ace has some good ones too. <laughs> yeah, when you were t- started talking about, uh, only nouns, I thought you were gonna go for Hesher. No, I would not do that. Uh, Fargo, uh, I, I liked Fargo, just the minimalist headlights disappearing, um, wreck. Huh, in that, good. and uh, and when you said Fight Club, I entertained Fight Club in my memory because of, I thought the plane wreck was more of a big deal, and it wasn't. In Fight Club? Yeah. Oh no, I meant the car wreck, like when. Uh, when... Oh yeah, I, I know, I know, but I didn't even think of that. I thought okay. about Fight Club early because I thought about the airplane. I see. Because I was trying to think of things besides just cars. Well, if you want to go with airplane wrecks, I'm surprised. Come on, alive, where you see the actual rear end of the airplane yeah, falling away and people getting sucked out of the seats. Like alive was. Uh, that was station a... one's got a good plane wreck too. What does? The, the first Final Destination. Oh right, right. You know what? Uh, are you sure? Like, have you? It does, but it's kind yeah. of. It's all right. So my spoiler for Final Destination Five is that. Not, 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 not. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm just not convinced that the Final Destination One plane wreck holds up very well. I don't know. I could be wrong. Five. Yes. Ooh. There you go. Now you're gonna have to see Final Destination Five. Suck it. Uh, how about the wreck? And and you know what? I don't think it's necessarily the way it's shot, but just the emotional impact of it. Uh, in Fearless, the Peter Weir movie. Uh, by the yeah. time the the movie is over, you actually relive the wreck with Jeff Bridges and Rosie Perez, and uh, you, you know the the movie is about the aftermath of it, but the climax of the movie is reliving that moment. Like that, I love that movie, uh, and that's a that because it's not necessarily the visual spectacle of the wreck; it's the emotional spectacle of it. Uh, I really like the wreck at the end of Fearless. You know, what, uh, also watching the wreck, watching the airplane come down and knowing is really hilarious. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a guy on fire. He runs by him and he goes, hey, hey. <laughs> Speaking of your favorite. And there's a blanket, like, conveniently amongst the wreckage that he can throw on someone. That is the best. That would be my, my number one choice for uh, most inadvertently funny wrecks. <laughs> but it even starts funny because the guy, you know, Nicolas Cage wanders up to a fireman or whatever, and the guy looks, <gasps> and then Nicolas Cage yeah. goes, <gasps> and then the plane comes from behind them. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, there's no conceivable way where they were looking has anything to do with knows. the disaster. He's a knowing. It comes, the plane, and I understand physically why they have to do that based on the wreckage they create, but it's just so funny that they couldn't substitute any other reaction shots. The movie's not called Looking. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh you guys ready i am afraid i don't have anything uh, here's our our three by three for next week it's actually inspired by conan the barbarian 3d oh i'm actually dingus did you have any other runners up you want to mention no no that's it okay uh the, this next week's three by three inspired by conan the barbarian 3d oh. Uh, in which I mistakenly thought that Conan had a roommate for a while because the dialogue was so bad at one point it sounded like he was referring to his roommate. However, I don't think he had a roommate. We don't actually know what his living situation was. So if he had one, we don't know. He did, however, have at least two sidekicks, one of whom we mentioned, the other of whom I really like the actor, and I'm kind of glad we didn't mention him because – 
I think he would just as soon forget that he was in Conan the Barbarian. He would just as soon we forget. And it's this fellow named uh, Saeed Tamahui. I don't really know how to say his name. And Racist. I, I know, I know, I know. I should be more sensitive. I don't even know if it's Arabic. Is he? He's is from he, France. I know he's French, but it's not a French I think that's name. Part Navajo. I know. Uh, I would say I would say Takamui because it's a. I know Vichy Swa okay. is part Japanese. So I'm assuming maybe he's Lebanese in origin. I don't know. I'm assuming it's something Arabic. Is it New Zealous? I don't know what it is. Uh, but anyway, that's not the point. The point is, I, I like that guy. Uh, sucks that he's in Conan. I hope he's getting a good paycheck out of it. But More the point him. is, he is Conan's sidekick. And when Conan is storming the dungeon at the end, I think Kelly Wan even at one point said something like, why, why is he there? Because he picks yeah. a few locks and then he drops the keys. And I, I need a thief for this giant He, he picks locks right. with giant keys that he has. He's not picking any locks. He just no, he's not doing anything. <laughs> well, he's, he's a guy either. Or a that doesn't count as picking locks. He's he using not. keys. Right. Yeah, that's a terrible thing. for if They were too lazy to kill him off. It was like, okay, and then we'll kill off the sidekick, and they forgot. Or, you don't even have to be a thief, by the way. If you've got the keys, you don't need to bring a thief hey, along. The lock, he could have carried the keys. Conan could have brought the keys himself. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, anyway, let's not spoil Conan. We don't want to spoil Conan 3D for people who haven't not, seen it. Not so, worry about. Sorry. Uh, so anyway, what I want from you guys, though, are best sidekicks. Sidekicks can be done so terribly, but what makes a good sidekick, and what are examples of good sidekicks? And let's take R2-D2 off the table right now, okay? I thought C-3PO was his sidekick. I'm taking I'm taking all droids from Star Wars movies off the table. The gonk droid, no. The mouse droid, no. Off the table. All of that off the table. Chewbacca. Chewbacca is not a droid, so oh, you know. You Stop know, talking uh, now, all of you. Stop talking. You know what? If you guys want to do Star Wars, then fine. Grandma Tarkin was Vader's sidekick. By the way, isn't Chewbacca more of a pet than a sidekick? Uh, so that's what I, I'm just going to leave the field broad. Do with it as you will. We saw some wasted sidekick potential in the Conan movie. Uh, I just want to know what good sidekicks are and what makes them good. So that's next week's 3x3. Three three. Any questions? Good. I would have answered them anyway. No, oh. I'm sorry. Dingus, do you have a question? I just wanted to know if you're going to restrict this to any particular parts of speech. Mm, pass. What about in Oh God Book Two, like the girl? Oh God, I gave him a chance to talk again. But then uh, she's in the side car, which makes it seem like he's the sidekick. Wait, like she's the sidekick, and no monkeys either. Oh, racist! Uh, all right, let's see. So we have a, next next week. We're going to do a little something weird. If you want to see movies along with us when we see them, because we will be spoiling them, you've got your work cut out for you for next podcast, because we're not going to do just one movie. Next week's podcast is about two movies. However, here's the catch. They have the same name. Oh, like Ooh. twins. Oh, wait, not like twins. I don't know. Is no, no. Like, uh, like Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. Uh yeah, except for Larry. So uh, uh, the Guillermo del Toro produced Troy Nixter directed remake of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Uh, actually, did, is, wait, isn't that what it's called? Did I screw up the title? Yeah, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Uh, that opens next week. We're going to see that. However, we are also going to see the original Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Now, that can be hard to find. I'm lucky enough where I've actually got a VHS copy of it. So we are going to watch this week. Don't be afraid of the dark. If you can find the original, it was a made-for-TV movie, please watch it. It's kind of a classic. Uh, and go see the remake uh, because we're going to be talking about both of them next week. 
Or if you don't give a shit about the old one, just see the new one. Exactly. You can just see the new one, and we'll fill you. We'll fill in the blanks for you. Yeah. We'll talk about. We'll tell you all you need to know about the original. Uh, actually, I hope people do see the original. A lot of folks, like like you and I, were talking about this, Kelly Wand. Remember the original from when we were kids, and it freaked us the heck out. Uh, yeah. And I think it's one of those movies. A lot of stuff that freaks you out as a kid, you go back and you watch it, and you're as an as an adult, and you're like, God, I was a I was a little wuss. But I was five though when that thing. Ah, well, fair point. Uh, exactly. But well, the thing is, I think the original does some really cool stuff that I want us to talk about next week, and we will do that. Uh, we will also talk about the remake, so we're you're going to get a two for one next week, oh. and we will do our three by three of. Uh, Best sidekicks. Just like Conan got Rachel Nichols and her body double in his love scene. Very good. Uh, so I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mer- Merlansky. It's Christian Merlansky. Mm, that's close. And Kelly Wand. Also a good train wreck. That movie Cleopatra in the 60s. That was a real thrilling <laughs> Went over budget or something. Egypt. Also, The Sting 2. That movie wasn't ideal. That was overrated. Woodrow Wilson. I smell you. I smell you.